Bonsai! To baby trees. Bonsai. Bonsai! Bonsai. It's almost like once you start doing it, I, you almost have to. Like, it, it, yeah. it's... He takes his hand and grabs his hat on top of his head while he's looking at it. The Black Pondo Podcast. You can ask me anything. I'll, I'll talk about whatever. <laughs> nice. Okay. That's great. Dude, I am so excited to talk with you. It's It's been a long time, man. Yeah, me too. It's It's been, what, like five five years about, I guess, since we last saw each other? I think the last time I saw you was at the national show in 2018. Ah, yes. So, yeah, I guess shy of five years, roughly. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. That was the last time, man. It's been a while. and Time flies. Of, uh, why I'm excited to do this podcast is because I get an excuse to talk to really interesting, really cool people like yourself, and we wouldn't normally get this type of opportunity. So, <laughs> I'm just excited. I'm just as excited to talk to you as well. Ah, thanks, man. That's very kind of you. I really appreciate you taking the time and thank you so much. I mean, like we tried to, to schedule this one time and I know you're a very, very busy man as an apprentice <laughs> now. And so uh, thank you so much for the time man. really, really appreciate it. Also, just as a heads up, so I am home today. Okay. Daddy daycare going on right now. <laughs> no problem. So. If my kids run in and or if you hear, Dad, come wipe me. <laughs> I'm so sorry, man. That's it's okay, man. I, it rolls. I completely understand. That's You got the most important job in the world, duty calls. Cool, man. Hey, and so I don't know if I'll throw this in, but one question I have for you, sure. not on the sheet. Yeah. I This is just something I was thinking about today. What do you think about the term bonsai master? Oh, I dislike it strongly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm so glad to hear that because I do too. Yeah. I I don't I don't like the term too much. I don't I would never like to use it for myself. I think it's very egotistic cuz I mean, one especially like in my current stage, I'm still an apprentice, I'm still a student, and I think like even after I finish the apprenticeship and I start working as a professional or if I go back to the States or whatever happens in the future, you, you never stop learning. You never stop changing your techniques. And this goes for bonsai in particular, but I think it goes for any any type of profession that's highly, highly skilled or takes a lot of time to learn the skills that go along with what you're doing. Like you, you never stop learning. You never stop changing your techniques. And you never start adapting, you never stop adapting to things that come your way. So I, I think, I don't like the term because of that. Because for me, I think like we're all kind of students in that regard. Like I see, sometimes I'll see something that gets shared like online or something like that. Maybe it's a technique that I wasn't aware of or we don't use at the place that I study or I was taught against it by previous teachers and the results look kind of interesting and it becomes something that maybe I would want to employ or try out in the future with some of my trees. So I think because of like that being said, like I think the term master is too, uh, too, I don't know. I don't like the, uh, <laughs> the image it carries in that regard, I guess. Yeah. I, I am a hundred percent on the same page with you there. Yeah. For me, it's everything that you said. So definitely 
we should never stop learning. I, I mean, I would never call myself bonsai master. I'm not like even a bonsai professional. I like the term bonsai professional. I agree. Yeah. Bonsai professionals. But in addition to ne- the whole never stop learning and can you even ma- like tr- to truly master something? I think you have to be, think I think you have that. to be, you have to be dead. I think using the word in a, in a past tense doesn't sound so, so strong on the edges. Like, uh, he was, he was a master of his art. Like if you say something like that, you know, talking about someone who has passed away, I think that is okay. There are definitely some, some people that, that some previous artists and bonsai professionals be, that have passed away with that word being used in that sense. I think it, it makes more sense. I get that. I totally get that and agree. Also for me, the term bonsai master, it's a little woo wooey. Yeah. A little woo woo. <laughs> it's like, you can be a Jedi master for <laughs> yeah. sure. And that's cool. Yeah. Nothing against, I mean, I love star Wars. No, but, it's great. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, something about that term has always kind of, rubbed me a little bit the wrong way yeah no i completely agree i I, there's many 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 things i can't quite put my 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 tongue on it but you know um it's yeah no (laughs) something about it i'm not a big fan of it definitely not for myself at least awesome man so i know so i met you at boone's and i I saw you quite a bit yeah yeah boone's house because i was there you were a frequent frequent flyer definitely what uh what brought you to Boone's? So I met Boone actually. Um I I went to the the BSF, the Bonsai South Florida convention with uh with my friend then Seth. Uh he was displaying some trees for in uh for a collection that he took care of in South Florida. And I remember I at that time I was working, I was like a working as a waiter at a restaurant when I was in college and I worked, I worked every weekend. So it was very difficult to, um, to get time off to go to do that. So I remember, I, I think I called out sick because I wanted to go to this, uh, this bonsai convention so badly and I couldn't find anyone to cover my shift. So I just said that I was sick in bed and, um, that was what happened basically. But I went to this event and I was there, I was having dinner with Seth and I think Juan Andrade, you know who that is. And, um, I, I met Boone there and, you know, uh, we were having dinner and stuff and I was just kind of telling him how like, you know, I really, you know, I'm young and I'm in college right now, but I really want to, to do something with bonsai. You know, this is like the first thing that I've, you know, had in my life in a while that I think I can, if I work hard and get better at it, maybe make a living out of it and something that I actually enjoy doing at that time. And I was in college and I was just, I, I started out wanting to study like computer science or actually I started wanting to study like geology or, and then I switched to computer science, I just kind of realized I didn't like it that much and wanted to do something else with my life. And I was talking to Boone and said, you know, I, I, I kind of have like an interest. I want to go to Japan someday. But at that point in time, I had never left the States. I didn't have my passport and the, I hadn't done a lot of traveling on my own. And the whole idea seemed very scary. And he offered me uh, he said, you know, if you want to, you can come out to my garden, my house. I'll pay for your plane ticket. And you can do like a, I think it was the initial visit. I think it was like a two-week trial. And he said, if, you know, everything works out, I like you, the way you work and you like being there and wanting to study with me, 
um, you know, you can move out and study with me as an apprentice. And basically he offered me that. And I remember the next day I, I called my, my, my mom and I said, mom, I'm thinking about, uh, thinking about dropping out of college to study bonsai. And to my surprise, she was very supportive. She said, you know, as long as you're happy and you have a plan and you're not just going to do nothing, that's fine. I support you. So, so I did that and I went out to, to Boone's after that. And well, you know, the rest of the story, <laughs> I guess. Your mom is rad. Yeah, she's cool. cool. She's cool. I'm very, uh, I, I don't think a lot of parents would give the same response. <laughs> totally. Totally. How long were you at Boone's? I was at Boone's in total for about a year and a half, I guess. Maybe a little less than that. Maybe like a year and four or five months, I think. But about a year and a half, give or take. That's great. I I, uh, I think it's so awesome that you were able to learn at Boone's first and then go to Japan. Yeah. No, it was it, – it, I think like any anyone who has studied with Boone and then – went to Japan. If you asked like a Michael or Tyler or Matt, for example, they all said like, um, you know, the way he taught them how to wire, for example, like just for one example, there's many things that he taught. I'm sure all of us that helped out a lot. But um, the way that he taught how to wire, I forget who it was, I can't remember if it was Matt or if it was Michael or something. But I remember, I heard a comment saying that uh, uh, Shinji Suzuki, their master in Japan said that they could wire it like a like a much higher level than like a first year apprentice could when they came to Japan because of that. And I mean, that's, you know, that's all boon to thanks, of course. That's awesome. I feel like if there was a American bonsai hall of fame, Boone's name would be there. Oh yeah. Without like, a doubt, without a doubt, without a doubt. Such an, such an impact on and had, had helped so many people actually go to Japan and, and continue learning so yeah, he's definitely in the U.S. Bonsai Hall of Fame. Oh, without a doubt, he's got a plaque. He he's got a star plaque, you know, with his name on it. If that if that place ever exists, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome man. So uh, you know, I remember you having quite a few pretty cool trees. I thought when you were what, at what, Boone's house. Oh yeah, no, he had a lot of really cool trees. There was, I mean, that that garden he had in Hayward. Like I remember the the first time I stepped into there, I was like wow, <laughs> this is a magical place. This is something special, you know? Totally, totally. Oh, uh, you had a lot of cool trees, I was saying, too. Oh, I did. Like, <laughs> in, yeah, yeah, your personal collection. I, I had a couple when I was at Boone's, yeah. Um, yeah, I had a, yeah, I had a couple, couple decent trees when I was at Boone's. A lot of them were projects, but there were, there were a few nice ones mixed in. What happened to all your trees, like your personal collection when you went to Japan? So um, I pretty much sold everything off. So at that point in time, when I went to Japan, you know, I did have a few trees at Boone's. Um, some of them I sold to a few of his customers that I became friends with. You know, um, there was one tree that was a really, I, w I wish, I don't know if this tree is still around or if it's where it is or whatnot, but there was a, there's a Japanese momie. Uh, maple that was developed by Dylan at his farm out in I forget where the location is but it was developed by Dylan using like the Ebihara technique you know putting it on the board and nailing all the uh, the roots into place and stuff and really just great piece of material to be completely honest that nice movement nice taper fantastic roots and like a great setup to be you know a nice 
kind of informal upright tree in the future. And uh, that one I sold to one of Boone's uh, students or customers. And I had a few other trees that also went to some customers. And then some I, um, some I, some I brought back to Florida and I kept at Seth's house for a while. And then I think before he went to Japan, those, I just sold off all those trees too. So yeah, I don't have any trees in the States anymore. <laughs> ah, got it. Got yeah. It. Yeah. Dylan did such a good job on that Japanese maple there. I think there's still a picture on your Instagram. Yeah. Which I have pulled up by the way. Cool. And, uh, I always thought, uh, that, that tree in particular was just such a, a great start and I was really excited to see it continue to develop. So I hope, I hope someone out there is developing that one. Cause that was, that was a killer tree. For sure. I hope so too. Yeah, no, that was a really, that was a really nice tree. It was a good start. I would be, uh, very happy to, you know, see that at like a show or someone's garden in the future serendipitously. <laughs> Most definitely. It's so cool that you and Seth both went to Japan as well. Yeah, no, I, yeah, he's at Ike right now, right? I think he'll make, he gets back to uh, the States in the future. I think he'll make good trades. Cool. So, yeah, I, we were talking about Boone a little bit. And definitely, yeah. I mean, he is, without him, I feel like bonsai in the U.S. would be at a lower state than it currently is. So shout out to Boone. For, I think uh, so. Yeah. For being awesome. Yeah. Quick shout out to Boone. Definitely. I mean, like it just, if you think about like the amount of people that he sent to Japan and then those people that also help someone go to Japan, like, you know, that that's pretty amazing. Like he, he sent, he helped send like a Peter to Japan and because of that, you know, like a Juan met Peter and Juan went to Japan. I'm pretty sure they that, that was part of how they he made the connection to go to Aichin. And also like a Matt, Tyler, Michael. So it's like, yeah, it's crazy. He's done a lot for the uh the bonsai scene in that regard. I mean, that's just that's just the we're barely touching the surface there. Totally, totally. Awesome. Well, hey, jumping forward just a little bit. Yeah, uh, sure. Can you tell me a, a little bit about your process of going to Japan and kind of like how you asked and how that whole thing came about? Yeah. So um, basically, I, from someone that I knew, they put me in contact with Owen, actually. And Owen informed me that Kokan was looking for another apprentice at the time. And of course, like I, I was aware of like Koken's existence for a while, especially because of like, uh, you know, Bjorn's YouTube videos and stuff like that. And, um, you know, at that time, I just thought it would be kind of the right next step forward and the right move. So I decided to go through with that and organized everything, you know, to get my my visa and stuff like that. And because I had Owen's recommendation, it was pretty uh uh, I basically had like a fast pass to get there. You know, I was kind of like a, since I had a good recommendation, it made the process a lot easier. So basically, yeah, just because of his recommendation, that was what helped me get to Japan. Did Owen go and talk to Mr. Fujikawa? Um, I think they mainly at that. Yeah, I think they, they did talk a little bit briefly before, like over the phone or a video chat once. Um, but I think a lot of it was being handled also like through email at that time. Nice. Uh, Naoki Mayoko was still at the nursery. So I think he kind of helped with, he helped with like some translations and stuff at the time before, before I got there. 
was there an uh, a trial period for you? What's that? Sorry. Uh, was there like a, a trial period for you with your apprenticeship or did you just jump straight in and, and start it? I mean, yeah. So I basically went straight over there. I think, you know, of course the, the, the initial period when I first got there, it wasn't quoted as a trial, but of course, you know, if you really messed up on something or made some horrible mistake that made it obvious, like, okay, you're not fit to do this, then I think I would have been sent home. But luckily there were nothing of that sort happened. So it was okay. <laughs> Makes total sense. Makes total yeah. sense. And tell me, what was your first day like? Were you nervous at all? Oh yeah, man. No, I can I can walk you through it a hundred percent. I remember it very, very clearly. So I, I got to I flew into Japan. Uh let me let let me just take you back a little bit. One thing that I wanted to mention that I thought was really cool. Uh, the first flight I took, I remember to Japan, there was like a never ending sunset because, you know, the speed that you're going in that direction, it was just kind of like the sunset just kept, kept going. <laughs> and that was really cool. My whole flight to Japan. So I, I got to Japan and, uh, when I arrived at the airport, I spent the first night in like a business hotel close to the airport. It's about like a 20 minute drive from the nursery. And, uh, the next day, I uh, went to the nursery. I I got a taxi. I was trying to, you know, at that point in time, I could barely speak any Japanese. I was trying to explain to the front desk to call me a taxi in the morning. And that finally worked out. They called me a taxi and I had like all these suitcases and I brought like gifts for, you know, my Oyakata and his family and stuff is like a thank you. And I was so nervous and had all these bags. It was just so just... <laughs> I felt crazy at the time, you know, I was just so nervous to finally be there. And I remember I went to the nursery in the morning around 7am and met my Oyakata and um, the other people who were at the nursery at the time and, you know, gave him some gifts and tried to introduce myself in Japanese as best as I could. And we, what uh, were the gifts? We, uh, what, what did I bring? I'd see, I got, I got a bottle of, like a, I think I got like a nice bottle of whiskey for my Oyakata. Later found out he doesn't really like whiskey, sadly. <laughs> but And then I got a nice box of chocolates for his wife and mom. And I I think I got some something else for like the um for like my Okasan as well, like the senior apprentice and Julian was there at the time. So I think I think I got something for him too, but I can't remember. But yeah, yeah, I got him a nice, nice. bottle of whiskey. And then I found out he doesn't like whiskey. <laughs> ah. Oh, shoot. That is what it is. <laughs> ah, sounds like a, a good gift. Yeah. However, no, and I'll have to ask Julian if you, if you got him anything and what you, what you may have got him. If you, <laughs> I can't remember. I want to, I think I got him something. I hope I did. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, man, Kai didn't give me anything. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> feel kind of bad, but I, I think I got him something. Nice, nice. Awesome, man. I can't imagine uh how nervous you must have been and yeah. Uh what the experience was like. Uh did you do you remember like did you do bonsai work on your first day or or was mm. there much work to be done on that first day or was it more like not, you kind of thing? Not really. I think we, you know, he once I gave him the gifts and stuff, I sat down my bags like in front of the tea room at the nursery. 
And uh, we, we talked for about maybe like an hour, um, just kind of, you know, broke down like the, the do's and don'ts, basically, that kind of stuff, how to address me, how to address him and what the day-to-day workload would look like. And then after that, um, I think I think Julian kind of gave me like a tour of the garden at that point because he, he had been there like some months. I forget exactly how long, but I think at least like four or five months, more more than that, I think. But he gave me a tour of the nursery. And then I forget exactly how long we walked around, but we walked around for a bit, you know, and he kind of told me like, these are the customer's trees and this is that and that, whatnot. And after that, the or my oyakatsu he loaded up uh bicycles in the um the van we have the highest van and then he took me to my apartment where i would stay at and then basically uh, i just kind of unpacked my stuff i think julie and i maybe had like a lunch there or something and then we just uh he just kind of like showed me around the town because at that point in time like i didn't have internet on my phone yet so like those those first few weeks in Japan without internet, like getting around was kind of scary, actually, you know. Oh, I <laughs> like can't I, even imagine. I I remember during that first week, I like, I think the first week or two, I like uh, wanted to go like explore like a supermarket that I found that was like a little bit outside of my comfort zone as far as the uh, proximity to my apartment at nighttime, and I was scared about about like uh, getting back or losing my way, so I. Uh, I, I remember I called Julian and I was like, hey, if you come with me because your your phone has internet on it so you can use the maps, I'll like buy you dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I That's think that hilarious. first day was, yeah. I think that first day was just kind of like a introductions. Uh, and I went back to the nursery after we went to the apartment. But, you know, I was so jet lagged at that point. You know, I was waking up like every day at like three between three and five for about a couple weeks and um yeah i think i think my work had to just said like you know go home and get some rest so i think that i think we probably finished the day around like a two or three or something like that it was a pretty short day gotcha did you call him your or did he want to be addressed as oyakata right from the beginning and did yes you call yes. julian senpai uh no as far as like Julie and I just, you know, called each other by our first name since we talked in English. But like a, like Mayoka, Naoki Mayoka, like my senpai, the Japanese senior apprentice at the time, uh, I call him like Mayoka-san. San is just kind of like, you know, formal, I guess like saying Mr. or something like that, but a little, little bit different, you know? Totally. Totally. Yeah. Very cool. Well, would you tell me a little bit about Fujikawa Kokaen? Did sure. I, did I um, say that correctly? Yes, you did. Perfect. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little bit about the nursery and, and maybe the history of the nursery. If, if you have any details there, that'd be awesome. Sure. Yeah. So basically, the nursery was started by my Oyakata's father, actually, in the uh, the 60s, I believe. So a pretty long time. You know, it's been open for over 50, 60 years. And basically... During that time, it started out as more of like a more of like a kind of general plant nursery. He deal he dealt with like a satsuki azaleas. He was going down to the uh, the southern regions of Japan and bringing azaleas back to Osaka to sell. During that time, uh, the roads were really bad in Japan, from what I have been told, you know, during stories and stuff. And it was kind of like a pretty big trek to make that journey down there to you know buy flowering plants and. 
there weren't a lot of growers in the Kansai and the Osaka area. So he was doing that and it was quite a profitable business. And um, that was essentially like the initial start of the nursery by his father. And yeah, so he he did that. And his uh, his father ended up being, he was like a Kokufu judge for a while and a pretty pretty powerful man within the bonsai community during his time, from what I understand. And um, when my Oyakata, he, uh, he finished college and he, he was sent to Monzaien to be an apprentice, actually. And he did the five or six years there as an apprentice. And then he came back down to Osaka and he took over his father's nursery. And during that time, during that time, it was more of a bonsai nursery already. Um, but he was, his father was mainly dealing in, he liked deciduous trees more. So he, uh, he dealt more with, you know, azaleas and deciduous species like, a maple and stewardia and styrax and things like that. He really liked deciduous trees from what I understand. Uh, but during that time, a lot of what my way got to learn at Monsayan, I think was more focused on a lot of coniferous work as well. And they kind of started to make the change to more coniferous trees when my Oyakata came back and took over the nursery. So yeah, that's kind of, you know, short little bit about the history. So I can think of like any other interesting tidbits that come to me that might be relevant. I'll try and bring them up. Um, yeah. But yeah, that that's the, uh, in a minute or less, that's the history of the nursery, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah, if you think of anything else, please do. I hear that Monsaien back in its day was really a top tier nursery within Japan. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that's incredible that he studied there. I didn't know. I wasn't sure where he studied. Yeah, it was a really, it was a really top tier place. And, um, Oh, another interesting bit that came to me is, um, my Oyakata's father, from what I understand, he was, uh, he was kind of friends with one of the, the older generations of Tanaka at, Aichian, the oh no way i think the maybe i think the grandfather maybe not the great the, it's fourth generation right that Aichian. so i know that there are several generations and i'm not <laughs> sure exactly but i i mean i know world before world war ii i believe it was started i should yeah. look back and check check in on that but uh yeah it's it's several generations but that's so cool that they so i think I, I think it is, I want to say it's fourth generation, but I could be wrong. So if anyone corrects me on that, I'm sorry. But I believe he was friends with either the father of the current owner or the grandfather of the current owner. And he um, was kind of like a, they were friends, but he also taught him a lot about bonsai to what I understand. And that was where a lot of his like deciduous techniques kind of came from to my understanding. So yeah, that, that that's like an interesting interesting bit i think <laughs> love those little tidbits very cool yeah so what types of work kind of trees can you talk to me a little bit about maybe the the business model that fujikawa kokaen is kind of known for yeah so um definitely we we have a little bit of everything but i'd say like the main thing we do is we do deal with more cayenne trees like a lot of refined stuff um, we do have like about half the nursery is customer trees that we take we take care of there. And some of those are kind of permanent fixtures of nursery. And then some of them, uh, like especially a lot of the seasonal varieties like ume, for example, 
they will be rotated out with some of the customers. Like when they're flowering, we'll bring them to his house or his garden. And then during the summer, we'll bring back and, you know, constantly rotate those out. So the trees are always in good health and good care from us. And then he can enjoy them at like, or the customers can enjoy them at the perfect time. But yeah, the majority of like the work we do is kind of like more, more refined stuff. I'd say, you know, trees that are in their last or final steps, but occasionally we'll get some more development projects and sort of stuff, but mainly refined trees is kind of our main, main business, I'd say. Solid. And uh, definitely really, really high quality. Love following your Instagram. You've done absolutely awesome on that. Would you tell everyone where to follow you at? Just be, oh, just yeah, to make sure, sure we don't forget. <laughs> little, little shameless plug. Why not? Um, so my Instagram is uh, Moonlight Bonsai, M-O-O-N-L-I-G-H-T, and then B-O-N-S-A-I. That's my Instagram. I'd say I'm probably most active on that. But I do have like a, a Facebook page too. Uh, I've got a bonsai page, but I don't really use that one too much. So if you want to connect with me on Facebook, just look up Kaya Mooney, uh, K-A-Y-A-M-O-O-N-E-Y. And those are those are the two social media platforms that I'm probably most active on, I'd say. Awesome. Do you realize how spoiled you are getting to <laughs> see those and work with those amazing trees on a regular basis? Uh, yeah, actually, you know, it's funny you bring that up because like a one thing that I, I've talked with this about, I've talked with this to like some other apprentices in Japan too, you get kind of desensitized to it after a while being here, you know, like trees that will be considered not worth your time or not really that great a material that, you know, back in the States, you you'd kill someone for basically you'd give an arm and a leg for in the States or these trees that often get deemed as not worthy or not, not appreciable enough, like in Japan. So it's, um, it, it, it I think especially during, during the period I was in, I've been in Japan, you know, uh, with COVID and everything, the borders being closed. Um, it's open now, but we didn't have visitors for about like a two year, two and a half year period. So there were not a lot of people from the outside coming in. And when you have those visitors coming in, like we have a lot now, it, it, it really helps me at least like be grateful for the uh, opportunities that I've been given to come over here and study. Because, you know, you see these people coming over here that have maybe never been to Japan or maybe they have been before and they just appreciate the trees. And it, it really makes you remember like a wow, that, that that's how I felt the first time I came here. You know, I was walking around like a kid in a candy store. And seeing those reactions from those people uh, really helps you kind of get grounded again. And, you know, just remember this is that feeling is why I came here. Oh, man, totally. It's probably got to feel a little frustrating not being able to buy trees and bring them back to the U.S. at some point. You know, you just like have no option to do that. Yeah. I am curious if you could, let's just say I give you a hundred thousand dollars and you can import one tree back to the United States. I'm just totally curious. Super random question. What one species? species? Yeah. What, or, what do you think you'd go shopping for? Only oh, one tree. Let's, let's see. One, <laughs> one tree, just one tree, one tree, just one hundred thousand. Oh, 
Oh man, that is difficult. Um, wow. Okay. Um, oh, there's a lot of good trees in this country, Jeremiah. <laughs> uh, all right. So can I can I uh, hijack the question and give two answers? One deciduous, one coniferous. I guess I will let you. Oh, that's very kind. I appreciate <laughs> it. You know, I'll, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll be true. I'll be true to the question, and um, I'll, I'll just give one one answer. One of one of my favorite trees. It's very difficult to answer, so I'm just going to pick a tree that has been at Kokan. And although I don't think this is a hundred thousand dollars, I know it is a very expensive tree. We had a Shishigashira maple. If you scroll back on my my Instagram towards the four years ago, I have a photo of when we repotted it. Uh, It's since sold. It's in China now, but this. She, yeah, yeah. Uh, this Shishigashira is a really, it was a really fantastic tree and it had been at the nursery for about, I think, uh, 40 years or more. It was originally my Oyakata's dad's tree. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe we can, maybe I can put like a photo of that up on a website somewhere that we can share in the comment section of the podcast so people can take a look at it. But, um, yeah, I, I think that would perhaps that or the bunjin maple that we have at Kokan. If I were to pick a tree like from the nursery, I think one of those two would probably be on be the tree. Very nice. So are you a big shishi fan, generally speaking? And uh, a big gen- maple fan too? I'm a big maple fan. Shishi Yashira, mm, more, I don't know. I'm kind of indifferent about them. I like them, but I just particularly liked that tree a lot. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. Very nice. I sometimes I daydream about that question and it's kind of a tough one. It is, uh, you know, cause there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, sec, uh, there's a lot of trees that I would like to pick as well, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I wanted to pick one from the nursery I study at, I guess, but there's definitely some other trees that I would be pretty, uh, pretty ecstatic to own, I guess. I don't know. A lot of the, um, I think a lot of the trees that I've came to enjoy. Oh, what, one, one, one question real quick, kind of sidebar. Maybe you can edit this out. Uh, you did kind of have like an itinerary of like questions in order. Do you want yeah. me to not skip around too much or? No, uh, we can definitely skip around and okay. uh, I'm going to throw in maybe just like a, like I just threw that question in randomly. Yeah. Uh, just a few extra ones just for fun. Sure. So is that okay if I kind of, you know, go on like a short little yeah, tangent? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, please do go okay. on mini tangents. <laughs> I think um, one thing that since I've moved to Japan and studied over here, like I've really fallen in love with a lot more elegant, whimsical, bunjin-esque shapes and things that fall into that category. And a lot of those trees are not highly they're they're sought after and they're appreciated in japan and of course some of you know the best ones would be very valuable but a lot of those trees are a lot more affordable than you know things that would win for example the kokufu prize you know big beefy japanese black pines or a really nice collected juniper that has extremely heavy strong deadwood and things like that the price point can be a little bit different on those kind of trees so I think that's the hard part. Maybe a lot of the trees that I would want to bring back don't fall into that high dollar price tag. 
<laughs> gotcha. You can hear my kids in the background probably. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, a, that's all right. Are they yelling at you or are they yelling at each other? <laughs> uh, probably both. Probably both. both okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool, man. I, I enjoy those types of trees as well. I guess for me personally, I'd like to have a variety of different types of trees. Yeah, uh, definitely. You probably, I think you have good taste and, uh, I feel like it, uh, those types of trees may take more of a refined palette of bonsai appreciation. And uh, yeah. I, I'm sure that you've started to develop that within your, during your apprenticeship and throughout your bonsai studies. So very nice, man. Love it. I've found with those kind of trees, like, I don't, I don't want to say a refined palette, but I found like a, in the bonsai community in within Japan, every professional in Japan appreciates those kinds of trees. And I think the part of that is, you know, you have all these, the, the kind of trees that win the Kokofu Prize, they are all very unique and all very different, but they all have one thing in common is they're usually very large and they're very strong and they're very heavy as far as the foliage pads and the way that they are grown and styled. And that's just what wins the Kokofu prize. So those are the kind of trees that people try to enter into those shows. So I think because that is such like a main part of the, of the bonsai, I don't know, how would you say that? I guess because it's just such a big part of the picture over here, you know, relating to the shows and that being such a major part of the bonsai professional community and the economy over here within that. I think you, you get sick of those trees sometimes. It's kind of like a, nice to have something a little different, a little bit more refreshing or just a, you know, a different view. And because of that, it, I've come to notice that like most professionals in Japan or people that have been trained in Japan, they really appreciate those trees a lot more than I think like some people who've only seen bonsai like in America, for example. So yeah. I, yeah, I think that's, that's a big part of it. I definitely feel you on that. And I feel like those big, powerful trees with a lot of presence, I feel like that's a universal thing. I mean, I think in the U S Oh yeah. The tree that just won the Pacific bonsai expo, which was a, which was a badass tree in my opinion, was a, a big ponderosa pine. I actually voted yeah. for this tree for best in show. Yeah, I know which tree you're talking about. It's a it's a really nice tree. That was from Randy Knight, right? Yeah, yeah, and it just had <laughs> such a presence standing in front of it. It was it's such a beautiful tree, but and I think yeah, that's, that's universal. Yeah, yes, um, that that's why those trees win those shows. You know, they have such a presence that it's really hard to rate a really nice, elegant Bunjing tree right next to one of those because they're on a completely different rating system. They're not the same tree. You know, it's like a uh, it's apples to oranges. They're completely different, different beings. Definitely. Although I feel like without those whimsical and, and Boonjean style and uh, just like variety in a mm. garden, it can look a little f uh, like, uh, I don't know what the word is, but it, it feels wrong. <laughs> Yeah, you need you I need agree. to. I agree. You 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 can't have just one. You need both to appreciate the other part of that. You know, you need to have the kind of more whimsical Bunjin like trees to appreciate the very big, powerful, big, powerful 
you know, <laughs> you need to have both. And they're, they're both necessary parts of the picture. So I, I, le- I appreciate them both, but I found myself more recently uh, enjoying trees that fall into the, uh, the, other, the other party, I guess you could say. <laughs> Definitely. And I, I would call those good taste trees. And it's like, they're, yeah. There's little little things about them, like the the mochi komi of the tree, or for yes, example, yes. does the the bark on a Japanese maple or do the branches have they turned from that greenish to more of like a grayish whitish color? Like that would be very good taste. Some little characteristics like that, I think uh, people could absolutely miss out on those little characteristics. Whereas a lot of bonsai professionals, I, I feel like, uh, really hone in on those and and appreciate those small details and those aspects uh, oh yeah a hundred percent definitely compared There's... to where like anyone can appreciate a, a big ass powerful tree <laughs> yes yes yeah, yeah exactly which is good though you know i think those big powerful trees are also very important for since most people can appreciate them even if they don't understand bonsai just seeing it you know it has such a, a presence or an impact like you said it's like a I could take a random friend or family member that does not know a single thing about bonsai, show them one of those big trees, and they would their initial reaction would be, "Wow, this is this is different. <laughs> this is cool. This is crazy." So oh. they're, I think they're really good for that that aspect too. You know, getting uh, hooking people into the art, hooking people into the industry. For sure, for sure. Cool. Well, I I uh, I appreciate both and uh, those big. Big, big trees are uh, fun as well. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Would you tell me a little bit about the clientele of Fujikawa Kokain? Going back yeah, to the, so, the nursery bit? Sure. So we um, we do have some Japanese clients as well, you know, that will enter trees into the shows occasionally. And like I was saying earlier, we do have uh, about half of the nursery is like a customer trees. Um, and I, I'd say a good majority. It is mixed up between a few customers, but a good majority of it is actually owned by uh, one customer. He, we we call him like a if you're like a like a college professor or a doctor in Japan, you typically just get called like a sensei actually by anyone. So we we call him sensei, but he is a college professor. He's got a really nice home in uh, Kobe and a really beautiful garden. He's got like this this giant sock. Uh, sakura, sakura, like a cherry blossom tree in the middle of the garden that he, uh, I, I'm pretty sure he purchased it, purchased it from somewhere because the thing is absolutely gigantic. It's like the size of some of the live oaks you'd see out in the plains in Southern California. Like it's really massive. And he is, um, he's one of the uh, biggest customers as far as like keeping trees at the nursery. And he owns a lot of the, uh, a lot of the uh, nicer trees over in that customer area, like I'm the 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 Hinoki that I've posted in the past. It's like a twin trunk kind of famous tree. It's been at Kokan for a while. That's his. Is that and, the important uh, bonsai masterpiece? Yes, yeah, that's correct. Uh, we say in Japanese like a kicho bonsai. Awesome. So that, as far as like the Japanese customers, that is that in a nutshell. And then uh, a lot of our business these days is the, um, and I, I think this goes for probably 90% of the bonsai nurseries in Japan. A lot of the uh, business now is China, actually. 
Yeah. So yeah. China, yeah, China buys a lot of trees. And I think it's it's been that way for a while, like the past decade or so that China has become like a large customer. <clears throat> but I think uh, even more so now, they're probably the biggest customer in Japan. They they constantly buy and, you know, import a lot of trees to China. Um, so I that's that's another topic in its own. It's a dangerous, <laughs> dangerous thing. But yeah, so China China's one of the biggest customer bases nowadays. Got it. Not to go uh well, uh got it, got it. Actually, <laughs> I, I was gonna ask you about that, but we won't go too far down that rabbit hole yet. Or um do you interact with the clientele that comes into the nursery or is that all your oyakata? Um, it kind of depends on the customer. Like we have we we have one cu- we have one customer, he his Last name is Endo, so we call him like an Endo-san, and he's been a customer of the nursery for a really long time. I'm pretty sure he was also like a he's been a customer since my Oyakata's dad owned the uh, nursery, and he he doesn't keep he's kept some trees there in the past, but he doesn't keep trees there anymore too much. But he always comes in, he'll buy trees and stuff, you know, have us commission commission us to like style trees and do work for him with my Oyakata and. He owns a boat tour company in uh, kind of Kyoto area. It's like a town kind of close to Kyoto. And there's a big lake around there called Lake Biwa. And he does like a tours and boat rentals around there. And he he just loves to talk. He talks a million miles an hour. And uh, he will just kind of show up at the nursery randomly unannounced. And sometimes Moyoyakata is there. And usually in that that case, my oyakata will take care of most of the uh, the conversation and things of that sort. But sometimes they'll come and, you know, my oyakata will be out running an errand or going to a customer's house or at an auction or something like that. And he'll just come and sit down in the workshop and just talk to us for like a two, three hours. So yeah, um, some of the customers, they don't really talk to us too much. You know, we'll basically just like a greeting and the rest of it, my oyakata handles but some of them will come in and they really like to talk. Uh, this is just referring to the Japanese customers, sorry. But yeah, he Indosan loves to talk a lot. He's always asking us questions, and uh, he's 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 really funny. He's really nice. He's in like great shape for his age, and about as yeah, he's just a cool guy. He's really nice, and um, you know he's been a he's been a customer of the nursery for a long time too. So sometimes he'll tell us stories that maybe we wouldn't uh, hear otherwise so yeah yeah get the inside scoop yeah you know it's kind of fun it's think of it as like uh you know maybe you're bringing your 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 girlfriend back to meet your family for the first time and they break out the embarrassing stories and photos from when you were a baby (laughs) because he knew my oyakata since he was like a little kid so he'll tell us like little little interesting tidbits that maybe he himself didn't even remember because he was a little kid you know so Ah, um, oh, that's so that's so, that, so fun. Yeah, so that's always fun. It's a little. He has a really strong uh, accent, and he talks really fast, so it can be a little difficult to understand his Japanese for me at times. It's it's always fun talking to him. He's a really interesting person. Very cool. Very cool. And then with you know, when we have foreign customers, usually we'll we'll take all me or the other apprentice from Canada, Michael. He'll. One of us will usually take care of that, like talking to them in English, you know? So it just depends on the customer or the visitor, I should say. Makes total sense. Makes total sense. Cool. 
Do you have any stories or of any interactions that you've had with clients? Anything like a positive interaction, something that I messed up or anything? In... Either way, we'll say positive or negative. Okay. Let me think if there's anything in particular. Um, it's really hard. I mean, I, there's definitely some stuff, you know, but it's like, uh, I have to dig into the memory banks. Like this isn't exactly like an interaction with a, a customer so much, but, um, we did have, when I first got there, uh, it's pretty common towards the end of the year to give like these, um, gifts for businesses and customers, um, a lot of times it'll be like really large flower arrangements, you know, like orchids or something like that. They're really expensive. They'll grow them in like Thailand and ship them over to Japan. At the end of the year in Japan, it's common that you give these gifts, basically these gifts. I wish I could find a photo of it so you could understand these orchids as gifts. And I was still pretty jet lagged at that time. And I didn't know that I was a part of the culture in Japan. And these ornamental orchids are basically, uh, let me, I think I may have found like a photo of kind of what it looks like. I'm going to turn on my camera just so I can show you real quick so you can get like an idea. So it's okay. on my phone, so maybe it's not that good, but you can see like these kind of orchids. Wow. Um, that's, uh, that's a lot of orchids. Yeah. Well, it'll just be, <laughs> it'll just be like one, but they're, they're pretty big. It'll maybe have like two plants inside of it. And basically they're, they're wrapped up in like a nice foil at the bottom and stuff. But part of it, like on the, on the, the top part of it, where the flowers actually are, they cover it in like a, like a plastic, you know, like a kind of veneer, like plastic sort of thing. So that I guess, so it doesn't get damaged or get rain on it or something like that when you're giving it as a gift. And it has all these wrappers and stuff and like a plastic labels. And when he picked it up, I guess it was for a customer that was coming the next day, but he just told me, you know, put it in the tea room, put it on the tatami mat. And that was it. No other context. And like, I think growing up like in Japan, that's such a big part of the culture that like he, he didn't feel the need to explain it because it's such a normal thing. So I completely understand that now, but I didn't know that. And for me, like I figured, Oh, he just bought these flowers to display because they look nice. You know, they look great. <laughs> and I started to take off this like plastic yeah. covering because for me, that just, I don't know, it just second nature, like it made sense to me at the time. And he was coming out of his car or something, or he was in the office at that point. And he came in like, thankfully, when I was at a point where it was like, not too far, <laughs> like it could all be yeah. put back. I didn't rip anything up or anything, but he just, he got pretty mad. And um, I completely understand now. And like, he explained it afterwards. He was, he was mad initially, but I think he's had... Bjorn was an apprentice there, like, I mean, at this point, like maybe 15 years ago or something like that. So I think he's kind of gotten used to the fact that if you're going to have like a foreign apprentice, they are going to make a mistake like that every once in a while. Yeah, he got pretty mad at first. I remember he definitely yelled a little bit, but um, he was very understanding afterwards. And I apologized and he explained it. And uh, I went home and, you know, studied up a little bit on that aspect of things. And, uh, that that was probably the first like first mess up that I had, I guess. Got it. So not it was... exactly an interaction with a customer, but it was bought for a customer's uh, purpose. So you know, 
Totally. That totally. was what came to mind, I, I guess. I would have, <laughs> yeah. I would have done the same thing. And I'm sure those cultural differences must be really, really challenging. Yeah. Hopefully Bjorn made some mistakes so that your Oyakata got used to it. Uh, <laughs> although I'm sure he didn't make that many because he seems just like he's uh, super legit. So. <laughs> yeah, no, he is. I, yeah. I, I know I know of a couple that, that he's made and he's he's talked about it publicly. So it's yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's open range, but yeah, yeah. Everyone, everyone makes mistakes, so you know that that does For happen. Sure. Any idea about Hello? the most expensive tree or trees that were sold through yeah. Fujikawa Kogan? The most expensive tree sold at the nursery. Um, I want to say during my time, at least. Probably that Shishigashira going to China. Um, I, I think so. We don't like that kind of aspect of business as far as like the negotiations between customers and prices. We don't really hear too much about that because we're usually not in the room when it happens. So it's all kind of like a, for the most part, like guesses and stuff like that. And um, I do know that in the past, I asked Mayoka-san about this. And I think he said the most expensive tree that he was aware of uh, selling when he was an apprentice was a taxis. Uh, a lot of, I guess, a lot of taxis in Japan are pretty expensive, like a nice one. So, taxis. Yeah, 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 like a yeah, like a collected. A lot of the taxis, they're uh, they're Yamadori collected way back when from like uh, Hokkaido, like the northern parts of Japan, to my knowledge. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, and so I was going to ask you, but I figure you probably wouldn't know and respectfully, and I completely understand a- as to why, uh, but yeah. any guess on the, on what that shishi went for? <laughs> and if not, no worries. I may have heard some prices, from the distance during that time, I want to say with the current conversion to USD, I think around somewhere between like a 60 and 80 grand, just give or take. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think more than that. No, actually. I mean, the, 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 the yen has kind of tanked recently, so it was a lot, it, it was more money at the time it sold, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just kind of noticing that I feel like might be a good time to buy some, uh, pots from japan because yeah. of the end to dollar ratio yeah no yeah. It, it is a good time now if you can find like some uh sellers selling in yen that will do international shipping definitely awesome would you uh would you tell me a little bit about mr fujikawa himself sure <laughs> uh, what's his personality like yeah um you know he i will say he's he's a serious man but he's definitely very he's very kind, you know, like as far as I think compared to even some other like nurseries or and stuff, he's very kind and understanding. And, um, that was one thing I was kind of made aware of for coming here. And that was, I think part of the reason why I picked Kokan. there's many reasons, but you know, I have a lot of respect for people that go to, for example, like nurseries where they have to live on property or the, 
the Oyakata is extremely strict and famous for, you know, verbal abuse among other things. Um, but I would not, I, I know I can say this with confidence. I would not do well at a place like that. And I don't think that I would enjoy spending five to six years of my life at a place like that. And I think it would affect my, my study and mental health as well. So, um, yeah, with that being said, he's very understanding, very kind. And, um, now that I've been here like four and a half years, our relationship has gotten a lot better. Definitely. And the beginning, you know, among the language barrier and many other things, it was quite difficult to, uh, to understand each other and I didn't <laughs> know what kind of person he was at that time but yeah he's he's a he's a very nice guy and I'm glad to uh call him my my oyakata or my teacher yeah what kind of things would make him happy and what type of things might be a pet peeve for him um i'd say things that make him happy like if he has directions or like uh wants or hopes with a particular job you're doing whether it be styling a tree or whether it be you know some sort of laborious task or anything if you can kind of like guess what not i not guess but like if you know the way he wants something to be done which is something that just kind of comes with time you can see like he gets very happy when that happens like you can kind of tell what he's going to to be done or tell the way he's going to want something to be done almost before it's said you those kind of things make him very happy so definitely that being part of it like when you just kind of get stuff without him needing to explain something and then i'd say things that make him mad i mean this kind of goes for anywhere in japan it's just there's a lot of like strong like respect your elders kind of thing like just disagreeing with him is not really like a good thing and that goes for most places in japan whether you work at like a uh office kind of company or if you're an apprentice doing anything if your oyakata says you've heard this before from many people i'm sure if your oyakata says the sky is purple you say yes it is so every once in a while things get said or directions get made that perhaps don't make a lot of sense to you at the time or maybe they don't make a lot of sense even at a later date but you just kind of have to go along with it and if you go against that system uh it'll make your life a lot harder so um i'd say that is probably maybe that's like a general tick for a lot of uh people that are in kind of positions of like a managerial positions or position of taking care of apprentices like he is. So I think those, those, that would probably be what I have to say for that. Totally get that. Totally get that. What are the other, or who are the other apprentices currently? Uh, right now. So we have, of course, myself. And then under me, we have Michael McTeague. He's from Canada. He's been there about a little over three years now. I think three years and maybe like four or five months about. And about three and a half years, yeah. I think three and a half years, actually. He came right before Taikon 10. So, yeah, three, three and a half years, about. And then we also have a Japanese apprentice. His name, we call him Hirachan, but his family name is Hirayama. And um, he uh, has been here for a little over a year, actually, as a full-time apprentice. But before that, 
he, he was in college before that and he would come twice a week when his had a free time uh, for about six months before he initially started. So technically a year and six months, but the official start date a uh, year actually. So nice. Yeah, it's cool. And so you are the most senior apprentice at the nursery now with Julian gone and uh, I'm forgetting his name. My, uh, my Oka son. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. The guy. <laughs> yeah. So he, uh, he went to uh, my Oka son went to independent shortly after I started. He was there for like 10 years. And he has he has a nursery close by. Actually, it's just a. It's maybe I bought like a little motorcycle, and it's about maybe like ten fifteen minutes from the nursery. By if I go to visit him on like motorcycle, so it's pretty close by. Oh, so cool! His work is so clean, and I love the pot the uh, pots that he makes. Oh man, very, he's, very he, he's he's so talented. He's so humble though too. Like he'll never, yeah, no, he's great. He's really like a big yeah. big inspiration to me. Yeah, those pots. I'm like, yeah. He he seems like he would have made been working on the craft of of uh, bonsai ceramics his entire life, just by judging those those containers that I've seen from him. Well, he is a uh, very high quality. He's a he was a graphic designer by trade, so he um you know art is his original background as well. So he uh, has a long history in the uh, visual arts. Ah, gotcha. Yes. Cool. So, so you're the most senior at the nursery currently, correct? Correct. Yes. Awesome. Heard stories of senior apprentices dropping bags and the the more junior apprentices having to catch them before they catch the ground or they hit the ground, and senior apprentices kind of like I don't know, almost sounds like a fraternity kind of thing. Yeah, like a hazing uh, or, or, or something like that. Hazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um do you ever give your junior junior apprentices a hard time or what's the relationship like? It's got to be an interesting dynamic with uh you a Canadian and a a native Japanese person yeah. at, at the nursery. <laughs> um I mean, we're all pretty pretty friendly for the most part. You know, I there's definitely not depending on the place you go to, like what you were saying, you know, just like dropping bags or tools on purpose and like yelling at your you know your uh your junior kohai apprentice to take care of things that definitely does happen some places but i mean i think here the main difference is just like being the senior apprentice you don't have to do as much like a koken specifically i don't have to do as much grunt work now like when i first got here so they like the bottom apprentice, whoever's the newest, they take care of all like the cleaning work in the morning. So when you, they usually, they get to the nursery a little bit earlier than everyone else or try to at least. And, uh, you know, you got to clean the coffee cup or the teacups. You got to wipe off the table, clean out the ashtrays, sweep up the, the sidewalk. And basically, I mean, that's the, the gist of it, but like toilet cleaning and things of that sort that gets done by like the, uh, the lowest level apprentice. So I think Mainly, there's just like a lot less chores for me. Um, but other than that, it's not, you know, I mean, if we're, if we got to go out and like build a fence or do any sort of like a laborious tasks around the nursery, we're, we're all doing it together, you know? So, um, makes sense. It just depends. There, yeah, there's definitely, I'm always kind of first contact with my Oyakata. Like, if he's out of the nursery, like, I typically get the phone call over the other apprentices and stuff like that. But other than that, there's not, not too much of a big difference. I think just more, 
let less less grunt work. That's it. Less chores. Absolutely. More more time with the trees. More time with the trees. Yeah, that's basically it. More workshop time. Less less cleaning cleaning toilets. <laughs> Solid. Uh, you know, kind of want to talk a little bit about Japanese culture. Sure. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, so this is a, another question that I didn't send to you beforehand, but uh, that's okay. Let's say if you had a good good friend visiting, or w- where would you take them out to eat? Where would I take them out to eat? All right. So one restaurant, man, I've got, uh, there's a, there's a college in the town where I study at actually. And that college is really close to a, uh, train station. And normally like a train stations in this kind of area, they're not too exciting. You know, there's not much outside of it because it's kind of close to college, the college, there's a lot of really interesting restaurants and bars and pubs and things of that sort. So there's a lot of good places close by because of that. And there's one restaurant, I for, I forget the name of it actually, but it's a, um, it's a, have you ever heard of a food called kushikatsu? I don't think so. So it's basically like, um, if you, if you want to look it up uh, later, you can check it out. But uh, kushikatsu is basically like a, it's like a fried food on like a small skewers, something that you'd use, for example, like a shish kebab, like those kind of skewers, but a little bit short. And it's it's not as, not as amazing as it is, but it's a variety of things. They have meat and vegetables and various other prepared things. They're all small servings served on that, that skewer. And everything is um, basically made to be used with a particular sauce or salt or condiment, essentially. And there's this really good place in um, close to that train station, actually, that my Oyakata recommended once. And he actually, first time I went there was, I think shortly after my wife and I got married, he uh, he recommended it and gave us a little cash to go have, have dinner there one night. And I fell in love with the place. It has a uh, Michelin star, actually, and they have a they have a location in France even, but the, the price tag is really not that bad. If you want to have like a food and drinks for two people, I think you can go there for about like a, depending on the course, maybe like a 60, $70. Um, so it's, it's not like a two considering it has like a Michelin star and like a location in France. Um, yeah, it's pretty good price point for what the kind of food and service you get. So I think that would be like a, a one restaurant I'd recommend. Uh, the other thing I have is my favorite ramen place is also in that town. And, um, they have a soy sauce ramen there that is just, man, that is like, ah, it's good. And it's a really cheap little place. You get a bowl of ramen and a beer and maybe it's like less than $10, you know, and it fills you up pretty well. And those would probably be like my two places that I would like to show people in my, in the town that I live in, kind of on the more expensive side and then a cheaper side for the ramen. Yeah. So those are both really good. Another place I really like is, um, I have, uh, I have an Indian friend that, uh, he just opened up a restaurant close to my apartment actually. And he, um, he's been living in Japan for 22 years. He studied at uh, Cordon Bleu and he has like a Mediterranean restaurant about 10 minutes from my apartment. And, uh, I just found out that place and it's, uh, not not Japanese food, but it's a very good place and an interesting experience that I think anyone would enjoy if they uh, came for a visit. 
Man, I am so jealous of you. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I've been fasting. It's uh, so it's five thirty here uh, in California right now. How long have you been and fasting? Been fa- uh, just since this morning, like I haven't eaten yet today. Oh. And so I just looked up kushikatsu, and I'm look just looking through all these pictures, and like my my mouth is literally oh, watering. Uh, let me look up bomb. the name of the restaurant so you can. Um, I think it's called kushikatsu don. Don. Uh, oh, man. Let me... I don't know. I think we shouldn't talk about food anymore. Okay, I'm gonna... sorry. You're fasting. Yeah, I don't no, want to do no, that to you. Totally... No, next totally thing, next thing I know, the uh, the internet's going to go out again, so you can go get a little oh. snack. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll we'll oh, skip look... on that. I don't want to torture you. <laughs> oh, I'd love so I'd good, love man. to take you though if you ever uh, if you ever make it over here. I very well may have to do that, and <laughs> also am in love with ramen, like. Oh ramen yeah, ramen is the best thing ever. The so. Funny thing is, I I did not. Um, I wasn't a huge ramen fan when I first got here because I I the first place I went to was just it was not. There, there's many different types of ramen, and uh, you kind of have to find the one that you like. And like, there is a type of ramen where the broth and the smell of the restaurant to me, and I've noticed other people say that it smells like dirty gym socks. Huh. And like the restaurant will smell like that from the steam coming out of the boilers. And the broth kind of smells like that. The taste is fine, but like the, it kind of smells like sweaty gym socks. And I, that was my first, like one of the first places I went to was kind of like one of those places. And I just was not a fan of it. And I didn't, I swore off ramen for a really long time. And that place that I really like, actually, my Okasan brought me there. It was his, his favorite place. And yeah, it, I, I've been going back ever since. I mean, it's like my, it's a really nice price point. You can go there and get a bowl of ramen and a beer for like less than $10. And that is very, uh, very, very good with my budget. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. It's a good place. Solid, solid. Uh, do you know what, what type of ramen smells like dirty gym socks? Um, I don't. I should look into that because I'm sure there is <laughs> like it is like a certain style or preference of preparing the broth or maybe the way they boil down the bones or something or I, I don't know. But I have noticed that. And yeah, like there's one there's one downtown Osaka that I know specifically. And it's a really cool place like the on the roof of the place. There's like a giant dragon wrapping the outside of the building. It's like a big tourist spot it's on the main road. But I always take yeah. like, I always take a side street instead of walking past that because the smell like does not sit with me so wow. well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, shout shout out to you know that ramen place. Uh, it's really good. It translates. The name's really cool too. It's uh, what is it? Matsukaze. I think it translates to like conifer wind, basically. Oh, it's a really that's co- that's cool. Yeah, it's a really I'd love to try it. Really cool name. It's a cool place too. Yeah. Nice. Well, yeah, changing gears a little bit. Would you tell me a little bit about what life was like during COVID times in Japan? Yeah, sure. So if I'm going to be honest, like, uh, I mean, I think coming over here in general, you feel a bit disconnected from the bonsai community, like from your, your home, like from the States. And I definitely felt that for a bit. But one thing that was really helpful was when I first got over here, you know, you, there's a lot of visitors. There's always people coming to see Taikon Ten and Kokofu and around cherry blossoms and fall time. They're, they're always coming to see Japan. And often people stop by the nursery, some that I know, some that I don't. And that was really cool. And it was really 
helpful for me to kind of like stay connected with with the bonsai community as well. But um, when Corona came about, um, you know, travel was pretty much put on international travel in general, but especially to Japan, they pretty much closed the borders for any regular tourism. So unless you're, you know, a government official or someone with enough money to pull something to get into the country uh for a regular tourist you're not coming in for about I, I think it was two and a half years for most general travel so it was really strange you know we went from and now we're back to this this being a normal thing but before it was like we would have one or two visitors sometimes every day and during corona that completely stopped uh so it was it was there were some good parts of it, like being over here. It was really interesting being able to kind of like experience Japan without tourists. You know, there were a lot of places that I went to during that time on whenever I got a chance to like travel outside of the nursery or outside of Osaka that normally, you know, you would be shoulder to shoulder, but to butt with tourists that were not a ghost town. They were still busy because Japan is such a small country with such a high population, but it was a very different experience, you know? So that was like one good aspect of that, getting to experience like a lot of uh, places without the lack of tourism. But the, I think the bad part was just, you know, for example, like shows got canceled, Kokofu got canceled during that. I think for one or two years, Taikon Ten got canceled. A lot of other shows got canceled. And uh, I mean, restaurants had to close at like a seven o'clock at night and just, it, it was a little, little depressing. I'm going to be completely honest. Um, yeah, that, that was kind of hard. Man, I can't even imagine. That's got to be uh, such a trip. Yeah, no, it, was, it felt like time kind of just paused, if I'm going to be completely honest. Wow. And so did you meet your fiancé slash wife? I'm not, I, I'm not yeah. sure, fiancé or wife. Wife, we, uh, we were During married. COVID times? Uh, no, actually, I met her pretty... Um, pretty shortly after I got here within the first within the first year and we dated for a while and you know we just kind of hit it off and decided to get married after that and uh, we've been together ever since how'd you guys meet we, we met online actually <laughs> when I first got here I didn't I didn't know anyone so it was pretty much if I wanted to uh, make some friends or go on a date or anything that like I didn't have enough time or money to just like go out and meet people like on the street or in a bar or anything like that. So it was uh, much more convenient and cost effective to uh, kind of suss things out online first and uh, chat with people that way. So that was kind of how I met like uh, any early on, like a friends or went on dates or anything back then. Yeah. Are we talking like, Japanese Tinder here or no, it was, it was Tinder actually just regu- regular old <laughs> oh. Tinder. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. So Tinder works in Japan. Huh? It does. They have their own, they, <laughs> they have their own version of it. Um, I think it's called, I forget what it's called actually, but they, they do have a Japanese version of it, but it's more so like a, it's just a little bit different. I think like a, you know, a lot of the apps that like for dating and stuff in the West are a little bit more casual. Like some people are genuinely just looking to meet people. Um, whereas like the the Japanese version is more like people who are kind of like want to get married in a week sort of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's a little different, but cool. th- but they do have their, Very their cool. own uh, version of that. 
Gotcha. And do you think having a significant other during your apprenticeship, has that helped or hurt you? And um, has it been a... Can you hear me? Think Sorry, Jeremiah. It's really wanted to keep you in Japan? Yes. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear. Oh, sorry about that. Cut no, it's, a, it's all good. I got I got the question. So I will say definitely it has made some things harder, um, you know, partially just because there is like a there is a time constraint, like with being an apprentice. There's a lot of uh, one. We don't we don't we don't make an insane amount of money, of course, and we don't have an insane amount of time. So I think that uh, that is definitely difficult. Um, thankfully, at Koken, our schedule is not so crazy compared to some other places uh we're not working till like 12 o'clock every night or anything like that but other than that like i think it 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 has made it easier you know like uh coming over here as like a foreign apprentice i think it's pretty easy to feel kind of uh disconnected to society and not disconnected but uh not not connected just like a not it, you don't feel like a part of society from the beginning you know it's just kind of you feel a little alone definitely um and you know having a partner over here and someone who can you know just being able to go home and have someone that you love to take care of and take care of each other really helps out a lot and i think you know anyone can Anyone married that has a partner that they care about can relate to that definitely, and um, no matter what you do. <laughs> but I, it, it's helped me out a lot in that aspect, having someone to uh, just talk to at the end of the day. Um, For sure. Yeah. So uh, th- there was one last part of the question. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> oh no! Uh, would you tell me a little bit about her? Oh yeah. So her name's Joyce. She um, she her her grandfather. She's uh, Brazilian and Japanese. Her grandfather's Japanese. And um, she moved here when she was a little kid, when she was around like six or seven. She's lived in Hiroshima, where the uh, the bomb was. And she's lived in Shizuoka, which is where like a Taishoen is, for example. And now she lives in Osaka. And she um, she's really smart, a lot smarter than I am. She speaks Japanese fluently, Portuguese, English, a little bit of Spanish, and she works as a uh, translator at like a, um, how do you say, like a, uh, what is the name of the, I'm trying to think of the name of the uh, the company in English. She always says it in Japanese, so I forget. Um, they basically, they, they uh, put people to work in, you know, companies and factories and help to do with like translations for that kind of stuff for the workers. But yeah, so she does a lot of a lot of different stuff involved with that though, but her main thing is like a translating and consulting work with that. Oh, that's so cool. And what a cool mix. So Brazilian and Japanese. Yeah, uh, no, it so is. So if you guys Yeah, yeah. I like I love well, being a mixed race person, I'm like mostly Chinese and Scottish, I yeah. would say, or kind of a, a European mix. Okay. But uh uh your kids would be like uh, a Caucasian, yeah. <laughs> Japanese, Brazilian. That's that's really cool. I, I love mixed race kids. Yeah, no, so. it's all it's yeah, it's all it's all good stuff. I love it. You know, people, all people are good people. <laughs> Absolutely. One little tidbit I wanted to put in there that maybe you don't know, or maybe some of the people who are listening to this in the future don't know that I thought was really interesting is um, 
uh, Japan has like a very large Brazilian community in it, actually. A lot of people that are uh, half Brazilian and half Japanese. So, and the, uh, the opposite of that is also true in Brazil. And uh, because basically the main reason is uh, after the war in Japan, <clears throat> when the economy was not doing so well, they set up kind of like a visa program or something of that sort where a lot of Japanese people went to go work on these like uh, coffee farms in Brazil uh, because, you know, the economy was bad in Japan at the time and it was a much better way to make a life and a living. So a lot of Brazilians, or sorry, a lot of Japanese went over there to Brazil, you know, worked over there, bought houses, started families. So you had a lot of half Japanese, half Brazilian uh, people. And fast forward towards like the 70s or 80s, maybe, um, you know, Japan needed a lot of people to come work in like uh, labor industries, like on farms and factories and things of that sort as well. So they kind of opened up a visa program. If you were, you know, they say in uh, Japanese, like a Nikkei, it's like a kind of second generation, like uh, your grandpa or your dad was Japanese or your mom or your grandma was Japanese, either or, uh, you can come over here and, you know, get a visa to to live in Japan. So there's a lot of like a Brazilian Japanese communities in certain areas of Japan, like in Nagoya and Shizuoka, there are a lot of a lot of those communities. So it's really interesting blend of culture that you get to see actually. But I think a, a lot of people are very unaware of. I was very unaware of it until I met my wife. So I think that might might be kind of interesting to uh, some viewers. Shout out to any Brazilians if they're watching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very cool. Very interesting. Very interesting. That's awesome, man. Thanks for that tidbit. Yeah, sure. Cool. Well, I guess uh, I kind of just uh, maybe was going to ask you one more question about uh, your apprenticeship. And then I was hoping that we could jump into the bonsai stuff because I'd like to talk with you about that. Of course. And I want to be respectful of your time. I was just curious, what uh, what was kind of the expectations up front in terms of like the living situation and meals and, and uh, housing? What is like provided for you? And then what do you pay for by yourself or how, how's that situation set up like? So basically, um, <clears throat> when I first got here, I was given, you know, like a small stipend, basically, uh, not much. <laughs> uh, when I first got here, I think, uh, I don't know, maybe it's about like six, like 600 bucks or something. It's, it sounds like a, like very small amount now. Cause the conversion from yen is so bad, but back then I think maybe it was around like six, 700 bucks, give or take a month. Um, and then along with that, I also, my oyakata, he paid for my apartment, the rent, it was in his name. Um, and then pretty much everything else, you know, like a cooking and stuff like that was on my own. Uh, for a while, his, my oyakata's mom, she, she's in like a nursing home now. But before that, she's very sweet, amazing woman, and she would uh, she cook lunch for us sometimes, like really, really pretty nice meals too sometimes. Um, so that was a cool way to kind of you know get an experience like Japanese home cooking. Um, so that was provided for a bit, and then you know after being here a while, I've gotten like a small little raise, so I get a little bit more money every month. And, um, after my wife and I met, we, we moved, we lived in that, <laughs> we lived in a tiny, like one bedroom apartment until the, uh, the lease was up for a while. It was literally like, I mean, I think some people would probably call it a closet <laughs> to be completely honest. Yeah. It was enough. It was, it was like a two rooms kind of, you open the door and that's like your kitchen. 
and it's a tiny little narrow hallway and you have a like an area for a small little gas stove and then there's a shower across from that and then you have a washing machine and a fridge next to that and a bathroom and then there's one little sliding door and in that next room it's enough room for basically one futon and a desk and a very very small couch that I cannot fit on <laughs> so but the cool thing about How that tall are you I am six foot so about like 183 centimeters give or take Nice, um, nice. So yeah, great height. A lot of yeah, it's a great height, but like, not here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. A lot of hitting your uh, head. I feel like, yeah, yeah, six foot in the states is like perfect, or yes. or maybe a couple inches. I think I'm like five eleven. I wish I was six foot. Oh, so that's okay. nice work, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for sure. So back to the the nursery stuff. Um, yeah. So the I mean the stipend we got was definitely it was enough to cover the basics, you know, as long as you don't, don't, uh, spend money too frantically and, you know, it was enough to eat and pay my bills and stuff like that for that time. Um, but yeah. So when, after the lease on that first place was up, I talked with my Oyakata and said like, Hey, we want to, you know, rent like a bigger place. So during that time, the money that he was paying for the rent on that apartment, he just gave to me like with my monthly stipend or salary, whatever you want to call it. And uh, we rented, we rented one place together for two years, and now that that place was pretty, uh, pretty old and dilapidated, and had a lot of problems. So we uh, we moved from there earlier this year in January, and now we're living in a a different apartment, which is really cool location. It's like right next to the uh, mountain in the town. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of like little waterfalls and stuff, so you can go swimming. Like, and it's uh, it's a really cool little area, but. Yeah, so that that's the deal with the with the nursery basically. And as far as like on the side, you know, I try. I've been doing it a lot more recently uh, because I need some money to save up for a flight home for me and my wife this year. Uh, but I've been selling, you know, like a pots and books and kind of like a uh, dry goods display figurine stuff like that online. And that is kind of like how I make up for uh, extra money that I need to do whatever, you know. Solid. Where do you sell those pots and and things if if people want to support you? Yeah. So if anyone is interested in seeing stuff that I have for avail- stuff available for sale, I will kind of post on the bonsai auctions groups on Facebook occasionally, and sometimes I'll just post stuff on my Instagram or Facebook uh, photos of it. And you know, if I ever do post anything, feel free to send me a message. If you want to know the prices or details on size, et cetera. And if you're, you know, just looking for anything in particular, you can send me a message. And if I have it or know where to find it for you, then I can do my best to help you out and, you know, find what you're looking for. Awesome, man. Very cool little service you're offering there. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Sweet. Well, what I was hoping to do was uh, jump over into some bonsai specific questions. If yes. that's cool. Um, before Sweet. we jump into that, I just need to run to the bathroom, get some water real quick. I'll be back in like just perfect. A okay. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, all Sounds right. great. I'll, I'll be right back. Get my headphones back on. Can you hear me? Yep. I can. I just got to stretch real quick, man. Sorry. I was sitting in like a bad position on, on my fault and just, uh, 
in the stretcher. <laughs> Sorry. No worries, man. No worries. Do you ever do do they ever make you sit in uh, oh, a position where you where what's you, it called? <laughs> I I forget actually, and that's probably a good sign, which means I don't have to sit in that very often, thankfully. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're so talking about. Like where you basically. Yeah, on your knees with your butt like over your feet and your feet are like stretched out. Um, I forget what it's called, but I actually I started uh, jujitsu over the last uh-huh. few years and I couldn't sit in that position until I started jujitsu. And yeah, uh, it's kind of like a, a standard thing that we do. Oh, yeah. When jiu-jitsu. like the, so, when the sensei is like addressing you and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, just even while I'm watching uh, watching the instructors demonstrate okay. things like that, but uh, I can totally sit in that position now, and it, it feels good, and it's still a little bit of a stretch, but uh, I, I can do it. So. I, I I didn't have a problem with it for a while, actually, but what happened was, um, so I I I had like an accident on my bicycle over here, actually, where I. Um, they have these kind of like storm drains, like kind of just canal, like small little ditches for when there's heavy rains and typhoons. So the water doesn't fill up in the roads. And, um, 99% of the time they're covered with these kind of like a metal, like a grates basically so that stuff can't fall into it. People can't fall into it. And at my old apartment, I was, I was riding my bicycle at night one time and there was this area where basically there's this tiny little sidewalk and usually you'll ride your bicycle in the road and there was a car coming. So I had to get up on the sidewalk, which I usually don't. And right next to that sidewalk, there's this really old, like kind of farm that someone had and there's just a bunch of bushes and you really can't see much since it was nighttime. And, uh, yeah, I basically just took, like, I went a little bit off the path and there was this ditch and I just kind of like, I fell into that like face first. My my wife says it looked like Mario, like going down to a pipe or something, basically. <laughs> and I I scraped. I was fine, thankfully, but I scraped up my uh, my kneecap really bad, and I have like a uh, I have a big scar there now, like a keloid. You know what I mean? And uh, to do that position is kind of like a impossible for me because of that. Ah, dang man! Yeah, that's crazy. No, it is what it is shit happens <laughs> <laughs> gotta be careful on those bikes yeah no yeah you do you definitely do i yeah. learned, learned my lesson <laughs> cool well hey uh yeah so jumping into bonsai specific stuff yes um generally speaking what would you like to see more of happening within the u.s what trends do you think we might be missing out on and maybe maybe things that you're seeing in Japan that you think we're missing out on? Yeah. Anything like that? Um, so I've got I've got a few things to say. And one thing I'll start out with definitely is uh, with collected trees. I see this trend. Uh, this is something that in Japan that I see a lot and I see this trend more. So uh I think like as far as collected material in the States, I think in the mountains, there are a lot of interesting trees that fall more into the kind of like a Bunjin-esque category, a little bit thinner trunk, still old and nice bark, older material, but they're not so heavy and not so strong. And I think a lot of those trees get looked over by people in the States. I really don't see a lot of those kind of like a Bunjin-esque collected trees from the mountains. And I really... I mean, I think it's just 
collectors are obviously, unless they're doing it for their own personal collection, they're going to collect stuff that, of course, is selling well. And I think those trees kind of goes back to our earlier point about not them not being appreciated enough in the States. But I think those trees are really, really nice to have because um, there is a lot of them in the mountains, definitely, I think in any country. And because of that, they're easier to collect. They're easier to bring down. And I think also they make really good trees for like, a, maybe not, I don't want to say beginner, but the price point on those is much more attainable than something like a really large Yamadori that's going to go for thousands of dollars. You know what I mean? So from a lot of European professionals, I know I see it a lot of like their workshops when they're doing with maybe some students that seem to have just gotten into bonsai recently. They have a lot of those kind of trees, like a Scots pines that are collected from kind of low elevation areas that have a lot of interest. They have some nice bark, but they're more feminine, kind of skinnier line and stuff like that. And um, I'd like to see more of those trees uh, existing in collections throughout the US. I think they're really nice material to work with. And I think a lot of people in the US do not do not appreciate those trees enough. And I think it, yeah, I think they get overlooked for a lot of collectors in the mountains. Yeah, I can totally see that. Great point there. Most definitely. Yeah. So I think that that would be my first thing. The other thing is, I don't think like enough people are growing shohin. And I really don't know why. I mean, there are a few people, you know, like you have the, um, I forget the name of it, uh, Gary Ishii in Cal- Southern California, you know, like he grows some of those shohin shimpaku. And then you have uh, Shannon, I don't know how to pronounce his last name properly, Sa- Salier, Salier, something of that sort in te- East Coast, Tennessee area. And he grows some- I like his stuff. Yeah, no, he's grown some good stuff, man. He's grown some really nice shohin trees. Like he's got some nice shimpaku, he's got some nice deciduous- and I really don't know why there's not more people doing that. And I really like one thing, I, I want to grow a lot of Shohin Chimpaku when I get back to the States. You know, it's something I have, like, it's something that I, we don't specialize in that here at Kokan, but I take Shimpaku cuttings like a madman and just have been teaching myself how to try and grow some stuff from Shohin um, since I first got here. And that's something I really want to do a lot of when I get back. I think it's, I think shohin are good because you can create high quality trees in a much shorter amount of time. So you can, it's good on both ends. It's good from a, like from a business standpoint, uh, you can make a nice product quicker. So that's something that you can, you know, sell for a profit quicker. And it's also good for the customer because they can get a nice tree quicker and at a probably more affordable price point than something that would be two, three, four times the size. Right. So it's, I think it's good for all parties involved, you know, grow more shohin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love, I love those little twisted up junipers yeah. and I'm growing a bunch myself. Yeah, yeah. So I completely agree with you there. And I think for those man-made junipers with really nice movement, cool shari, but all, all man-made mm-hmm. stuff, I feel like the smaller sizes are definitely where it's at. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Definitely. Yeah. Even though, like, for example, in Taiwan, they have those massive man-made trees, which they put movement into and added shari over time. I still, I really like the the little small ones that we see in Japan I agree, frequently. Yes. And I think we need those in the States for sure. Definitely. 
I think too with like for for whatever reason I can't quite put my finger on it the exact reason but with like you know for example like a lot of some of the shohin shimpaku you'll see uh, from Japan they're very obviously machine carved you know sometimes they have this crazy ribboning dead wood and tenjin and stuff like this that just like it's very obviously machine carved but as long as it's done tastefully and it ages a bit it looks nice but for whatever reason sometimes the same thing done on like a larger tree it looks strange you know like i don't know what it is but it just looks odd but for some reason on like the smaller shohin shimpaku and stuff like that that same kind of like almost overdone carving it, it works well with them. It looks very dramatic. I think something to do with just like the size scale relating to the work done. Of course, like as long as it's done tastefully, you can't have bad carving looks bad no matter the size. But yeah, e- totally. Yeah. I think you can get away with certain things with Shoheen that you cannot with larger size trees. I agree. Yeah, definitely. And, and then also we have really big, awesome Yamadori. So yes. we might as well get some small little trees with really nice movement because hard to find yamadori small collected uh, yeah definitely definitely it is yes so i think like i I would like to see in particular within the uh shoheen realm i would like to see a lot more uh junipers that's something i would like to do personally but i think people just in general should grow more shoheen definitely yeah love it um i think there was one other thing i had to say that I wanted to see more of in the states, and yeah, now I'm drawing a complete blank. So uh, maybe it'll come <laughs> back to me, but <laughs> we can just move on. No to worries, the next. man. Cool. Well, you know, one thing that I, I know that I have messaged you about before, and we've done a little bit of messaging back and forth through Instagram, is about leaf type, and so I know that you have definitely. Ex- expressed that you believe that leaf type is very important and it really matters. So I was hoping that you could dive in a little bit on that topic and explain why leaf type matters to you. Yeah, definitely. So I'll start out by saying one thing. If you come to Japan, you will see uh, fantastic pieces of material that were created using like a not so ideal leaf type, whether that be like a trident maple that has kind of the large frog frog feet type kind of foliage or a juniper that doesn't have the nicest, tightest foliage that doesn't stand up on its own. Um, so I think like even with a bad leaf type, you can still make, not not in every case, but in certain cases, you still can make a nice tree, but it is going to take a lot longer time. If you have a good leaf type, you are going to set yourself up for success and you're going to be able to create a nicer tree. I think in a much quicker and more realistic for people's lifespans tree, like in a quicker time span. So I think that, you know, if you can, if you can set yourself up in a situation where you're going to be more successful in making a nicer tree more quickly and not have to constantly battle its natural growth and vigor and you're you're gonna have a better time i think so i think it's important to pick out you know good leaf types because of that but yeah definitely like time is going to help even with a bad leaf type turning that into 
a nice tree perhaps like one example we have uh we have like kind of famous shimpaku that bjorn's put on youtube and online in the past hakudu which is like white dragon it's a famous collected shimpaku and it is it's not the worst leaf type but it's not the best one but it's been a bonsai for such a long time that the foliage has gotten pretty tight on it but I, a couple of years ago, uh, my Oyakata pruned this tree back and I took some cuttings off of it just because I was kind of curious. I thought it'd be kind of cool to have that for maybe like a bigger trees in the future if I could find a way to bring it back to the, the States legally or something. I took cuttings of this and once it got healthy and it started growing, I was like, man, this is horrible. <laughs> this is absolutely <laughs> just not something I want to I would not grow this on purpose ever. Huh. Once, okay. Yeah. So like, you know, that tree has been a bonsai for such a long time, constantly being cut back and pinched or maintained throughout the years for decades that it's tightened up to such amount. But once I took these cuttings and they're really vigorous and young and I was given the fertilizer, like the growth is like really difficult to work with, I think. And yeah, so that I don't know. That's kind of like a little side bit, I guess. But I think if you, so, yes. Oh, I was just gonna say it sounds like one good note, just one optimistic way of looking at all of this is yes. just that foliage will improve with proper care of your bonsai. Yes, it will. Is and over time. Yes, yeah, over time. Nice. Solid. Definitely. Solid. Okay, that, that is part of it. I just wanted to bring that out. Don't go. Don't go throwing out all of your trees if they're like a bad leaf type or something. Of course, but. Um, thankfully, if you do want to change it, you can change to a better leaf type, typically via grafting for most species. That's really, uh, really common to do with a lot of junipers to change the leaf type to a better, uh, better variety. And, you know, you can do that even with, um, with deciduous species too. A lot of people will, you know, let's say you have like a Japanese maple and you'll see this in Japan sometimes too. Maybe the trunk in the, uh, the bones of the tree, like the initial structure will be made with perhaps like a poor leaf type because the one advantage to that is they they will thicken a lot more quickly they will keel a lot more easily typically and they will put on size a lot more quickly and easily so you know you could make the initial structure with this kind of poor leaf type and then you could either thread graft or approach graft in branches onto those initial branch structure and create the secondary and more fine branching off of that better leaf type variety so that is another option that can be used with pretty good success i think and yeah so like uh there are that happens a lot where the trunk and the initial structure will be made with like a little bit poorer leaf type and then have like a nicer finer leaf type crafted in because that will you know that'll kind of save you time as far as building the trunk at least gotcha like um I remember when this tree, uh, it sold to Europe since, but when I first got to the nursery, we had this really nice uh, trident maple. And I mean, this thing, like the the base, you know, it looked like a turtle shell basically. And then it had this nice straight trunk and just the, to this day, probably like the finest trident maple branching I've seen to this day. And uh, I remember I asked my Okasan, like, uh, I was like, do you know anything about like where this tree came from? Like, do you know who grew this? And he, he was making a joke. But he was like, oh, the tree, it's a really nice leaf type. The tree basically grew itself. <laughs> and 
he was kind of like hinting at the idea. He explained it a little bit more uh, rationally afterwards. And he was saying, you know, if you have like, especially with the deciduous tree, like a trident maple, if you have a good leaf type, you know, once you get kind of past the, uh, the initial structure building, a lot of the stuff is very like natural for the tree. Like if you pick something that has good uh, kind of growth type and nice leaf size and puts out short internodes and fine branching, like a lot of the work is going to be done for you. So that's why I was saying with like the bad leaf types, you're going to have to do the bonsai work that you need to make it a better tree into the next stage. And then you're also going to have to constantly just kind of fight the strong growth and, you know, large leaf type and tendency to send out sucker growth. That's very strong and not always useful in your design. But uh, a lot of that kind of falls in more to towards the refinement, like second kind of part of the stage, you know? Yeah. You know, I think uh, you really explained things really well to me. I And I don't know if you remember this or not. I can't remember exactly how long ago it was, but you sent me two pictures and it was like two Japanese maples and they were the same age, I believe, or maybe uh, I think it was the same age and under the same care. Mm-hmm. And it was like 30 years or something, maybe 20 years. I can't remember exactly, mm-hmm. but basically it was same care under the same bonsai professional. And one of them was just so much far further along with so much better ramification. Yeah. And basically <clears throat> the only difference was the leaf type. One had naturally much smaller leaves compared to the other. I maple. think, I think that might've been a tree that we had at the, uh, at the nursery. Actually, we had a, I think it might've been our root. We had a root over rock, uh, Japanese maple that my teacher had for a really, really long time. And there was also at that, I could be wrong. It might've been a different one, but either way, these examples still work. Uh, there was also another Japanese maple we had at the time and it was grown by Ebihara actually. And it was a really fantastic tree, you know, like the, the base and the branches and the structure. Fantastic. It was a perfect tree, but the variety used, I don't know if maybe it was planning on getting grafted in the future or not, but um, the variety used was so, so strong. And like my, my oyakata doesn't usually like to do full defoliation on, um, Japanese maple, but I think just on that particular tree, uh, in the past he did it like a couple times just because it was so strong. And it was like, I mean, sometimes like, I, I think he, I think he said like one year they didn't even give it fertilizer. They just gave it liquid fertilizer, like a two times, but no no like an organic like a solid fertilizer because it was just so strong but it still just would not put out like a nice fine growth Jeez, and yeah the, those trees had probably been in care about the same time but it was night and day the difference between the two definitely yeah yeah ah it's it's such a bummer it's so so hard to find really good material to start with in the u.s I, meaning like tr- deciduous with small leaf type Mm-hmm. But if you can, I, m- I mean, I feel like if you're going to put 10, 20, 30 years into developing trunks, it's do a whole lot if you can figure out how to find a really high quality variety of deciduous tree. I think it's so important if you, if you can, but it takes a lot of effort and it's hard to do. Yeah, without a doubt. But I, yeah, I completely agree. You hit it on the nail. Like, a, it, it's very important to source out like a, nice leaf types. And I think also 
especially like a back to I was saying, like I really want to see people growing more shoking, you know, uh, those those things become twice as important when you're talking about small trees, uh, because absolutely, you know, if you're having something on a small scale and the foliage is out of proportion, or for example, the like a lot of certain juniper varieties, they don't stand up on their own very well, so they kind of always need wire to support them. And I think on like a smaller tree, that that becomes even more important to have something that has you know nice short internodes, has a decently small leaf um form to it and you know for like juniper is something that has nice tight needles and also will have a tendency to uh, lignify in the branches and stand up more so on its own and like a nice varieties of like a like itogawa is you know the most the most uh kind of sought after variety in japan and that's typically what gets used for for grafting if you're grafting a tree over to a new foliage type within junipers and um the nice thing about that is itogawa if cared for and developed properly it gets to a point where it doesn't need so much wire because the branches they tend to thicken and lignify in a nice way where they just support themselves the foliage is not too heavy the branches have a nice strength where they can kind of hold on their own and you get to this point where the branches develop a nice structure that it's very stable and it gets when a tree like that gets to a point where it just needs like a few pieces of wire to look really really nice and refined but also still have like a soft kind of like a little little uplift in the bottom of the branches it looks really nice and you can't get that with certain other varieties so i think like for me that's really i I just enjoy looking at trees when they're in that stage and you can't get that with certain varieties of juniper i think for sure for sure yeah, no, that's that's a very nice quality if you can have a juniper with no wire. Yes. That's in a refined state. Absolutely awesome. And it is very hard. Like, for example, with Sierra juniper, which is the species that I'm most familiar with. Yeah. I for the generally speaking, I think it's very challenging to have no wire on it just because the the foliage is so heavy. Yes, it yes, tends definitely. To droop down. I do have a couple trees where I, I really actually think that I could show it without wire at a certain point. Yeah, um, that's cool. Yeah, and it, but it, it's all genetics. It's like, you know, the top probably 5% of Sierra Junipers, I think that's possible. I, I may be proven wrong later on down the road. Maybe we can get <laughs> a higher percentage of Sierra Junipers without wire, but it is possible, but it's more challenging and it's still all about genetics. I think for our native ones, like I only want to keep uh, the best native genetics for foliage types. And yeah. then I, I'd like to graft other ones. And yeah. I actually found a really nice Itoagawa uh, variety recently that I got from Peter T. And I'm like so pumped on it. Oh, that's so cool. I grafted one of my trees <laughs> with it already. I'm, I'm stoked. That'll be, that'll be <laughs> cool to see the results. I, uh, I, 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 do you still have that? Um, when I was at Boone's, I remember you had like a really small Sierra Juniper that was like pretty badass. <laughs> do you still have that tree? Thank you. Um, yes, I do. Are, I do. Are you grafting Absolutely. that one or is that one still Sierra? Uh, I am grafting. Okay. The that, small one. Yeah. 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 Small ones I tend to graft now. It's it's so hard to keep that yeah, Sierra foliage it with is. a small tree. I'm curious to see the results on that. I think that'll be a really killer tree one day. I don't think there's 
I don't think there's many people that have really good um, collected shohin size, you know, Yamadori trees like in the States. I mean, like even in Japan, they're kind of rare for like a junipers at least uh, for, for Shinpaku. You see like a, like a lot of small Tosho and black pine and red pine and other things of that sort. But for the junipers, they're somewhat rare. And uh, I think a lot of time, the other thing that's kind of rare about yours too, is you collected the tree like that. It wasn't like a, like a lot of times the um, smaller collected trees, they'll just end up being roots grafted onto the top of a bigger tree and made into a smaller tree. So there's a, it's, you know, it has a different feeling when you just collected the tree like that from nature, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And yes, not as many, uh, small collected trees as bigger ones. Yeah. I have seen a few recently, uh, the backcountry bonsai guys have done a good job with that. Oh yeah. A few really cool little ones. And I'm sure Randy Knight has collected some and, you know, there, there's a few of them out there, but harder to find for sure. Yeah. I think a lot of times too, they, uh, the smaller ones, they end up growing in those granite cracks and that is what makes them small because they're kind of dwarfed by their living conditions and it's kind of impossible to take those out unless you got, you know, <laughs> uh, unless you have like a mining team. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, Speaking juniper specific, yes. Do you subscribe to the whole larger foliage type for larger trees and smaller foliage type for smaller trees? Is that generally what you like to do? Um, not particularly. I think like there are, you know, like certain professionals do have their preferences when it comes to different types of like a juniper foliage and stuff like that. But like a lot of places you'll go to, it's just. Uh, they'll be using like like in kimura's garden for example like a lot of the junipers there they're pretty much uh, the ones that are grafted with itogawa they're almost i think all of them they're the same type and i mean those trees sure. those junipers uh i just brought up that nursery for example because uh, we don't do like a lot of grafting work and they have a lot of big junipers there but yeah they're pretty much all the same variety and it's you know a variety that i see used on a lot of shohin as well and i think it I think it looks fine i really don't think that's if you want to use a bigger variety a bigger leaf type variety on a larger tree i think that makes sense versus the opposite using a larger variety on a smaller tree doesn't make any sense but i don't think it's necessary i think it's just kind of like runs down the preferences more so um yeah yeah cool because you know like what's your uh i mean like if we're trying to, you know, bring this back to like in nature, you'll see big trees that have small leaf varieties. So I think it's fine. Great point. Yeah. yeah. Great point. Is Ito Ogawa, is that your favorite variety, would you say, for juniper? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Ito Ogawa is my favorite variety for the most part. There are, of course, you know, there's like small differences within separate varieties of Ito Ogawa and stuff. And there's a lot of there's a lot of other collected varieties that I don't even know the particular name about because we, we don't deal with those too much. Um, but typically, so one thing I, I wanted to clarify on that a lot of people seem to have a problem with understanding like uh, outside of Japan is a lot of people think that like uh, Shinpaku in itself is a variety. But um, in Japanese, Shinpaku is just the general term for junipers. 
So a lot of people seem to think, I see this all the time online, people saying like a shimpaku variety or whatever it is. Um, shimpaku just means juniper. It is a general term. There is another term for like the juniper, juniperous species. And that's more of like a common Japanese term. But shimpaku is just kind of the term that is used within the bonsai world to talk about junipers in general. So I just wanted to clarify on that for anyone listening who might be mixed up about that. And then within that, you have other varieties, you know, like Itogawa, Shimpaku, or sorry, Itogawa, Kishu. I uh, contradicted myself almost. Uh, Itogawa, <laughs> Kishu, you know, Tohoku, Hokkaido. And all of those varieties, the name is typically just based on the area of Japan in which they were collected from. And yeah, so that, that's really all it is. Like the Itogawa foliage type comes from the Itogawa region in Japan, kind of by where like a Mount uh, Hime is, or Kurohime, which is like Black Princess, Dark Princess, something like that. And uh, Hokkaido foliage comes from Hokkaido region, which is the northern part of Japan. And yeah, that basically, uh, that's, that's how that goes. Solid. Great points, man. Great points. Awesome. Would you tell me a little bit about uh, what you're working on this time of year and any tips for that type of work? Uh, Yeah. So right now, this time of year, we're um, the main thing we do, I said, we're working on a lot of, you know, like a detail kind of wiring, refined trees and stuff like that. So depending upon the species that doesn't really stop throughout the year like a some varieties like a junipers as long as you're careful maybe i wouldn't recommend this to like a customer or student uh most varieties can be worked on like light wiring throughout any time of the year for the most part uh with the exception being like a you don't really want to work on like white pines when the the new needles are starting to flush out because they can be damaged pretty easily and the same being said for uh, black and red pines when the needles uh when the candles start to shoot out a lot um but other than that most stuff can be worked on kind of any time of the year within proper consideration to to degree (laughs) so we're working on a wide variety of species as far as you know like light wiring and stuff like that and then along with that we just kind of finished up uh repotting like a last month in april and now we're doing a variety of stuff like a some some maples we started cutting like a month ago some were just starting now if they're a little bit on the weaker side so you know japanese maples uh will go through and depending on the particular tree the strength and if areas are being shaded out well typically from the exterior of the tree we will cut one leaf off from the pear completely and then if it's necessary sometimes it's not uh again depending on like the strength and vigor of the tree if it's necessary we'll take the remaining leaf and we will we will fold that in half and we'll cut it at an angle. Uh, you can just cut it in half, like down the middle of it. It just doesn't look as nice. So my Oyakata prefer, prefers that we fold it and cut it at an angle. So we're doing that work on some trees. And of course, uh, before that, for Japanese maple, we do the uh, the bud pinching, which basically stops the growth. It doesn't make the inner nodes smaller or anything like that, but it just stops the tree from growing initially and if it's a strong tree it'll probably push again late summer in japan at least so we're doing that with japanese maples with many other coniferous trees we're you know 
taking out some old like yellowing needles and stuff like that. Uh, for shinpaku, if they're really vigorous, we might do some light cutback or pinching on the more refined ones. And but mainly now, like a lot of deciduous work, you know, cut back on on ume. Uh, I have one ume that I was I was just uh, working on. It's actually my personal tree. My wife had to give me a little extra time to work on that, and I I grafted it. Uh, let's I guess about a year and a half ago now, and to my surprise, all three of the branches took that I grafted onto it. So it was really good success rate. Mm-hmm. I was really happy about that, but I, I didn't need all the branches actually. So I cut, I cut one off and, uh, just two days ago, I defoliated it and wired it. And I actually, there was some dead sections in the bark. So I removed the bark and went through and carved that. So we're, we're doing a really, you know, big variety of work, but a lot of deciduous stuff this time of year would be. The main thing i think that makes total sense yeah hey one question about uh repotting <clears throat> generally speaking i have followed the schedule for repotting in terms of repotting when the buds start to swell in late winter or early spring however uh, i noticed a video i think it was for japanese maples it looked like the leaves were kind of coming out already is that pretty common for uh, your nursery? Um, I wouldn't recommend it if you don't have to. But like sometimes, like as doing bonsai work, like uh, in uh, let me let me start from the beginning. Let me rephrase that. Sorry. Um, you know, working doing bonsai work is like a profession. You're busy. Sometimes you just don't have enough time to do everything at the proper time, and uh, that's that. And if a tree really really needs to be repotted badly even though it's part it's partially leafed out as long as repotting it because it really needs to be repotting let's say it's really root bound or something like that water's not penetrating to the center of the root ball as long as that is more beneficial than not doing it it'll be done but it just depends you know i've had like a uh not this year but last year i had like a little shohin trident maple and i completely forgot to repot it but it was super root bound it was in a very small pot and i hadn't repotted it in about three years and that tree i completely just defoliated it cut it back and did like a really light repotting on it just to because it would have suffered in the middle of the summer had i not done that so and that tree did not skip a beat but i would not have done that for every tree you know it really depends um and that would never be my recommendation to like a student or customer Unless that was something I would do for a tree of mine in my care. I would not recommend for someone in a different climate doing things differently than how I do them. I like, so it, it just depends. Yeah. Makes total sense. And I completely understand about not having enough time, especially when you have so many trees. Yeah. Uh, I think I actually, I thought that I saw Bjorn at one point say that on occasion with older Japanese maples, it was potentially like uh better to repot repot japanese maples once they started pushing a little bit and I, I wasn't sure if that was something that was ever done on purpose uh, or if generally speaking it's good to do while the buds are starting to swell i mean we since i've been there like when we repot deciduous trees for the most part we um they're always kind of starting to push out and leaf out a little bit you can feel, you can see like that 
a lot of times, I mean, it depends on the particular tree and the time we have, but we, the way we do repotting at Kokian, so we always start with deciduous trees, pretty much like a Japanese maple and tridents are kind of like the first deciduous tree that get repotted. And the last would be something like a crepe myrtle or stewardia or um, beech, because those always tend to leaf out the latest. And um, yeah, I think like a, a lot of people do it that way. And that would be probably my preference in Japan. Maybe I'll have to change my techniques for a different climate in the future. I don't know. I'm open to that, of course. And uh, that's just how we do things here. And that works really well for us in our climate. I don't know if the same could be said in a different place, but that's how we do stuff. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. Cool. And uh, uh, what was I going to say? One. Ah, there was one other thing. I can't remember now. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> cool, man. How are you doing on time? I'm, I'm free, man. I'm free. My, um, yeah. So I have, I have the day off today. It's 1030 here. I can go for as long as we need to do. My wife's taking a nap in the other room. <laughs> she just got back from her uh, mom's house in Chizoka. I picked her up from the train station last night, so she's pretty beat. So, uh, yeah, I have no time constraints. It's raining outside. It's a horrible day, so <laughs> no rush. Cool. All right. Well, we'll we'll do a few more if that's cool then. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> is there anything that you have uh, FOMO about going on Ooh, within the U.S.? Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, I do. I think about that. Actually, I try not to think about that too often because I think it's not, not a good thing to fixate on, but it does pop into my head from time to time. Um yeah, I think like right now it seems like bonsai in the US uh is in a really good place. And um I think it's a really good time to be starting like a bonsai business or a bonsai school or a bonsai nursery. It seems like there's a lot of people that are starting to get into bonsai for the first time but very seriously and they really want to just go down the rabbit hole really quickly. And uh, I think that's awesome. That's really cool that a lot of people are starting to appreciate it um, on a more global or just public level. And um, yeah, I do kind of, you know, I'm really happy to be over here studying and stuff. And I think it's the best thing for me at the current time. But like when I orig originally came over here, I was kind of hoping to maintain the idea of like a going back to the U.S. once or once a year at least for a few weeks and, you know, one visiting family, but two, maybe being able to work with a customer here and there, at least go do like a demonstration just to kind of, um, get my name out there. Um, yeah, my other so, headphone gave out. So I switched back to the, <laughs> the one charging. Ah, gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, uh so where were we? If you're missing uh, out. We were talking about FOMO in, yeah. uh, for us bonsai and, I agree with you that uh, I think you the bonsai is in a good spot, and I do think it's a good time to start a bonsai business within the U.S. I think there's a lot of excitement, and uh, people love their trees, and it seems to be growing. So I completely agree with you. And, but at the same time, you're learning great things over there right now. So yeah, it's a double-edged sword, you know. There's uh, there's good things on both sides of the fence. So you know, I'm I'm happy to be over here, like I was saying. But sometimes I would really like to. Uh, get a chance to go back to the States now and then I'm going back for a visit in October, but I haven't been back in like, then it'll be almost four years. And uh, my wife still hasn't met my family because 
Corona came about and it was so difficult to travel during then. So I think we're, we're going to be booked up doing family, family stuff for the most part, which is, yeah, yeah, it's, that, that'll be the best. I'm really looking forward to you know, getting back and seeing my folks. So for sure, for sure. I'm um, sure they miss you like crazy. Oh yeah. Four I years. Too. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. a long time, man. Yeah, no, it is. It really is. It's crazy, but yeah, I definitely do have a little fear of missing out with that, I guess. Um, so yeah, definitely. That does, that definitely is a thing. So I yeah I am very excited to get back to be in the bonsai community in the states. And you know, I also I just like talking with cool people that like the same thing that I like to do. You know, like talking with you that makes me really happy to just share passion and interest. For is the mic picking up all right? It's okay. Yeah, yeah, you're okay. totally good. Yep, all can right. hear you. Hundred percent. So. Yeah, I'm just, you know, happy to, you know, share my passion and my interest with people that like to do what I do. And that's, yeah, just that basically. So I, I'm looking forward to being able to do that more. It's really like a, for me, bonsai is my passion and, you know, what I like to do. And I like to share that with other people and do that via teaching or working. And yeah, I can't wait to do that in the future with, people in the States. Yeah. Well, I'm sure everyone would agree with me. Any, anybody that's listening on here, that's checked out your Instagram page. Uh, I just want to say that I really, really appreciate everything that you post. I especially like, I mean, there's awesome trees that you're posting, but all the educational stuff that you're posting as well is just super fantastic. I know like when Peter T was in Japan, I used to look at his uh, blog pro posts and read through them like multiple oh, yeah. times. Peter had a great doing blog. this. <laughs> yeah. Doing the same thing with you, all your stuff. And so thank you. Please keep up the good work. It's, it's fantastic. And I love to live vicariously through you. So. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, wanted to ask you about a couple trees that are probably like some of your more recent posts on your Instagram page. So sure. Sure. Yeah. There's a, there's two in particular. One is a trident maple and I'm assuming these are like from the same person or something like that. Cause one of them is a massive trident maple, not in a bonsai pot in some, some strange like board with that one <laughs> with like mesh around it. And then there's also a camellia with the same kind of pot thing going yes, on. So yes. I'm assuming they're from the same people. Yeah, so that was from a, uh, a customer of the nursery. He is a very uh, – uh, I've only met him a few times. I forget his name, actually, but he is a customer, and he grew both these trees, I guess. And, man, he is really good at doing what he does. He um, that So that camellia, for example, like pretty much – I think about 70% of the branches were like uh, – approach grafted or scion grafted in to the exact position that he wanted them to be in like all all wow. of the yeah a lot of the initial structure if you're are you looking at the can you pull up the camellia right now perhaps yeah i'm looking at it right now yeah so that it's the, rad yeah no it's a really cool tree it's a really rare variety too i it's called cochua bisque and it has like a really cochua bisque it has um really small kind of red and white mixed flowers they stand more upright and basically they're just really rare to see in japan as bonsai and really rare to see in that that side size so 
yeah, he the uh, the child trunk too. That was also grafted in. He uh, air layered it off the top of the tree, and then he um, basically grafted it onto the side of the trunk and planted it there. Um, so it's you know, so you could have kind of like a twin trunk, and it's yeah, really that really fantastic awesome. tree. The uh, yeah. pot onto the second note. I don't know why, but a lot of people really hated that pot when I put it online. But um, uh, he made it. It's kind of like a breathable, I don't know, what would you call it? Like a vinyl mesh kind of material. It's pretty strong. But he made that with wire and um, kind of pinpointed more thicker wire in to give it support and then thread like a smaller wire in between that. And it looks really like it took a lot of time to to make. I'm not a big fan of it personally. I'd rather just put something in a box or a terracotta pot. But his uh, mentality was like, I think being a hobbyist and a busy man, uh, he said with a pot like that, it kind of works the same way as like a colander where the roots are going to self-trim themselves once they get to the edges to a degree. So you're not going to get a lot of roots like wrapping around the edge of the pot. So it can go a little bit longer without repotting and for him i think being a hobbyist and being very busy that can help out a lot sometimes he doesn't have enough time to do all the trees one year at the same time or something and uh that was his explanation for it but um that's so interesting i mean i uh yeah the pot (laughs) i don't even know if you could call it a pot what is that yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's just such a they're both such beautiful trees and putting them into something like that is just kind of like very funny to me you know yes it's yeah, like no the I opposite, know what you mean. complete opposite of wabi-sabi we'll all just say that <laughs> <laughs> and but just gorgeous trees i i love these i would really love to see more camellia as bonsai especially in the u.s but even yeah, in japan too. it seems like there's not like that many um I think, I mean, if you were com- if you were to compare it to like another flowering species, like there's definitely more azaleas than camellia, for example. But um, azaleas kind of they get used separately, you know. Like you don't usually see azaleas totally. in like shohin displays or something like that, for example. And um, they're kind of just like a sep- they're like a separate niche within bonsai. And um, for sure. Yeah, there, there's a decent amount of camellias. Uh, there's a pretty good amount nice. here. But there's not a lot in the States, definitely. And I would like to see a lot more of them. They're really an underused species. Yeah, me too. Me too. They do really well. Um, they're, I don't know. I think a lot of the species, a lot of the varieties that are in the States, they have really large leaves. So I think people look past them. A lot of the ornamental varieties that get, like, because there's a lot of, sorry, I think I just said azalea, not camellia, actually, but. Um, there's a lot of camellia, like even growing up in Florida, uh, you know, it's pretty hot down there, but like in Orlando, there's a lot of camellias growing in that area and public gardens and people like to use them in their, their gardens for their houses, etc. But yeah, a lot of them have big leaves. So I think they're, they get looked past for bonsai, but there's a lot of good varieties that you can use for bonsai. Definitely. I think more people should grow them. They make good show. Yeah. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've purchased uh, a few different varieties. There's a place called Cam Forest that sells them. I believe they're out of maybe North Carolina or something like that. And I think, I think I've, I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah, I've just got some of the really simple single uh, single flower varieties, like the, the red and just a simple white. And a, a few 
very uh, different one. Uh, what's there's one that I think you have posted that you guys have had before. I'm forgetting the name, but uh, yeah, I, it's I'm like, looking forward to right now. I'm forgetting the name as well, actually. <laughs> Um, uh, give me a second. But I got, oh, okay, I found it. It's uh, oh, Tamanora. Yes, Tamanora. Tamanoura. Yeah. Yes, no <laughs> Yeah, that is one that of my favorite is, varieties. Yeah, and that that's I believe a natural occurring tree that they that they collected out in nature. It's not like a, a hybrid or anything like yes, that. It was that found is cor- in Japan, correct. which is so cool. Yeah, so no, cool. I really, I, I'm a big, I'm a big like uh, nerd for that kind of stuff. Like with varieties that were like found naturally. I don't know why. There's just something more special about them. It feels um, they so the the in the mountains of Japan, the most common occurring variety is just like it. If you translate it from Japanese into English, it literally just means like a mountain camellia. Like Japanese in Japanese, like a mountain is yama, and then su. Uh, Camellia is Subaki. So it's just, there's like a, sh- I forget it offhand, but there's like a shortened phrase for it. I think it's Yatsuba. No, I'm, anyways, they say Yama Subaki, but there's a shortened version of it that most people in the bonsai community say. And uh, that basically, um, it looks like the Tamanura, but it doesn't have the white. It's just red, large uh, flower variety. And then it has like the yellow in the center. And the, yeah, like you were saying, the Tamanoda is just a, a naturally found variety that was, I guess, some sort of variegation or some sort of natural genetic mutation. And they just bred it and it became really popular. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> I love it too. You, you should, you should, uh, you should order some and <laughs> try and grow it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have one. <laughs> I Ooh, should get some awesome. more. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 Absolutely. I, well, I need a better setup for cuttings right now, but once I get a better setup, I absolutely yeah. will. For right now, uh, just <laughs> just stick with juniper cuttings. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the easiest. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Cool, man. All right. Well, switching over a bit, I, I think that's kind of all the bonsai questions I mostly had for you. Unless you had any anything else that you wanted to touch on or, I don't know, any trends or anything that you've been seeing or any stories that you had if not that's cool uh, nothing i can really think of particularly you know there's a lot of the other stuff that i'd love to touch on like with more related to bonsai but there's some things that are kind of like difficult to touch on with a podcast unless there's like a like a visual aspect to it that kind of needs to be explained in person so i think yeah we can just move on to the whatever For sure. next point is for That'd sure cool. awesome man well, hey, I was really curious, and I, I think I've asked you this a few times, and so I apologize for pestering you with this. <laughs> and you you may not have this all worked out, but do you know what your future plans are? Do you want to come back to the States and have a nursery, or um, what do you yeah. think? Yeah, so, ah, I remember a question you had earlier that I forgot. You were asking about, like, a, a, when a, with, with my wife, like, if having a wife makes you want to stay in Japan more. And, um, yeah, it, de- it definitely does to some degree. And, uh, I, so what my current plan is part of this is just kind of copying what Bjorn did to some degree, cause he is doing very well and he's a big inspiration as far as what he's doing right now. And I'm going to stay at the nursery at Kokan that I work at, that I study at right now. And after I finish and I get my professional certificate 
and a few extra years like a banks, which is coming up fairly soon. I'm going to work there for a while after, you know, partially just because I, I enjoy it. I enjoy my life in Japan and I enjoy working there. And I will do that along with here and there going back to the States and any other places if I can make enough connections to teach and work and, you know, travel and do demonstrations, things of that sort to save up money uh, for probably an eventual move back to the States. I don't know when it'll happen. Things could change and maybe it doesn't, but um, I think eventually I would like to move back to the States and do like Japan. But I think for me personally, I think there, uh, there's a lot more opportunities, uh, at least from like a financial perspective, waiting for me in the States. And I think it'll be a lot more, um, lot more potential to build a nice business and a nice garden for me, for, for what I want to do. Yeah, well, uh, I'm sure, well, <laughs> speaking for the bonsai community, which I don't represent everybody, but I'm sure everybody would be very, very glad and happy to have you come back to the States. <laughs> and we want we I want that knowledge to come back to that States. And uh, you're you're such an awesome guy that uh, I'm, I'm really excited for you to come back to the States. So I'm, I'm happy that you <laughs> answered that way. Have you narrowed it down to some potential locations, do you think? And I know this is way long-term and things could change, but yeah. what are some of your favorite spots that you like? So I grew up in Florida, and during my childhood, I also spent spent a little bit of time living in Asheville in North Carolina. So those are kind of where I spent most of my, my childhood, more so in Florida, South Florida. It's a little town called uh, Stewart, if anyone listening happens to be from there know was uh, knows where it is, send me a message. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I probably won't move back to Florida. I kind of hate the humidity and uh, I can't grow a lot of species that I would like to grow there. So Florida's kind of off the list. When I do move back eventually, I won't have that much money. So, you know, it needs to be somewhere kind of countryside, big land, decent sized house, workshop, and affordable, of course. So I've thought about um, maybe Georgia. I think from what I've heard, you know, I've talked to some, some friends and customers that I have in that area, maybe not Georgia perhaps, but maybe somewhere in that general kind of Eastern, Eastern area. And, uh, I think that kind of hits all of the checkpoints, you know, the, as long as you're not too deep into the city, like in Atlanta and you go outside a bit, you can get decent sized house, decent sized piece of property, uh, for a pretty good price. And, you know, you can find somewhere that's within 30, 40 minutes to the airport. That was a piece of advice that Boone gave me that he always said was really important. And the climate, the weather is also very similar to Japan and Georgia. You know, the winters are fairly mild. If you go kind of in the foothill areas, like I remember Adair, Boone's uh, customer told me in the foothills of Georgia, you do get a tiny little bit of snow sometimes and white pines do really well there. But the summers are very hot and humid and... I think the climate's pretty similar to Osaka, Japan, you know, Tennessee, Georgia, Carolinas, all those areas kind of share a lot in common with uh, Japan's climate. So I think that would be a good place. If I'm going to be honest, when I was at Boone's, I fell in love with California. I really like it out there. I think like California is a beautiful state. I really enjoyed, you know, being close to the Sierras, the Redwoods, the coast, like all of it from a nature perspective, it's really beautiful. But, um, 
having being said that I didn't buy property like 20, 30 years ago, I don't think I could ever afford to, uh, to start a business in California, not having like any family out there. (laughs) (laughs) So for sure, man. Yeah. Probably somewhere on the East coast. Um, I've had a lot of people tell me that like Chicago and kind of Midwest area has a lot of good opportunities for a bonsai professional because there's not many in that area, but I don't really want to deal with the, um, the, the weather of that climate is pretty, pretty tricky. You know, you got to do the juggle, bringing trees in and out during the overwintering. And there's always the chance of second winter and things of that sort. So I just, I don't think that that's something that I would want to, uh, to deal with personally. I think there's a lot of risk that you take on with that too. If you have like a customer trees and things of that sort. So it's just not, um, not really a climate that I'd like to deal with personally. For sure. For sure. Cool. Well, Hey, if you go to Georgia, the people of Georgia will be very, very happy. <laughs> and you always got a place to stay out in California. Thank you very come much. Come on by. <laughs> I would definitely uh, like to come back for a visit again. <laughs> yes, please. Definitely. I'm in a new spot since you visited last yeah, time. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I got even more uh, more space now, and I'm, awesome. I'm slowly building out uh, my bonsai garden, and I got a workshop and stuff, so... You're always welcome here, though, man. Always Thank got you. a I, I got a guest room for you, Thank you and so your much. wife. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> cool. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think that's that's about uh, wraps that one up, man. Thank you so so much for taking the time to talk with me. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. You are awesome. Love following your work. Please keep it up. Love living vicariously through you. Thank you, man. I've seen all your posts <laughs> and. Yeah, just thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. Of course.